And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Hagman Report. Today is Wednesday, April 18th, 2018, and we got a great show lined up for you today. want to urge everybody to go to HagmanReport.com, bookmark the site. There you can find the latest news and content, as well as our show, which is streamed live there uh, each night, 7 to 10 p.m., as well as Global Star Radio Network and Blog Talk Radio. We got a whole bunch to get into tonight, and it's going to be a content-filled show, especially this first hour. We're going to cover some news and, and current events, and Brandon House is going to be joining us to get into a story he broke on the Hagman Report about the censorship and oppression he has dealt with in, in attempts to try to uh, conduct these free conferences, and he has been shut down by the Antifa and Southern Poverty Law Center and care the care organization for it's his conferences worse than that it is worse than it's that it's worse than that when you hear what he's got to say it's worse than you think yes it's more than you think and it's what we've been warning you about and it, it is coming in through the christian church the evangelical church we're working on some technical issues, folks. Just hold on with us. Uh, I'm not sure what platform just went sideways, but we're working it out. Um, having said all of well, that, Joe, what let's happened go is, ahead. Uh, apparently, last night we had a number of guests that we brought on that were receiving echoes in their earpieces when we were talking. And it seems as though some people are getting that echo now, and others... In chat now we're saying okay audio is good right. audio good okay thanks guys Eric's got about five thousand things going on all at one time folks he's the most uh, overworked guy in, in radio and I'll, and I'll tell I mean that okay having said all of that um, a lot of things taking place of course Barbara Bush passing away um, you know all is not what it seems to be all right just understand this the people that you think are are just you know impeccable uh, just understand that there are so many people out there who are not who they claim to be and and you know um, so that I, I guess in that con- in that context with Barbara Bush I, I just uh, you know the, the passing of Barbara Bush of course um, the, those people who know the whole family know the family know the history You've got to just understand what's what's really behind this going on behind the scenes, and you can research that yourself. All right. Now the um, we, we've got we, again, as you said, we, we do have a lot to get into. Uh, Joe, in the in the moments before we bring Brandon House on, what caught your radar the most? Because we've got like five or six hot button issues that are really kind of. You know, taking place. Um, yeah, we, we what, do. what caught your attention the most? I want to ask you that. Okay, well, uh, I don't know if we had a chance to cover this yesterday, but there were reports a few days ago of Israeli jets 
launching strikes in Syria and Syria shooting down missiles that apparently Israel launched. Well, come to find out, it was a United States and UK and Israeli cyber attack which triggered the Syrian air defense missile systems, right? Uh, tricking them into thinking missiles were incoming and having them launch missiles to counter those incoming missiles. But it was all a cyber attack, and this was uh, done to confuse the systems and whatnot, and apparently it worked. The uh, There was many reports out there saying that uh, Syrian uh, uh, false alarm sends missiles into the sky or uh, Syrian mishap. They, they, they would not come out and say it was a cyber attack, but uh, many people have come to the conclusion that it was a cyber attack. Okay. And now we have right. this uh, the buildup of the Iranian weapons and Iran's increased involvement in Syria and on this international stage of this conflict involving many countries. So, so, so to the so to the Obama worshippers and the Hillary worshippers and the Kerry worshippers, let me ask a question: How's your investment paying off? How you liking that investment right about now to Iran? Oh, and by the way, regardless of of attribution with respect to the chemical attack, in air quotes, in Syria. Wait a minute. Didn't Kerry, or didn't Obama and, and Hillary and Kerry say that there were no chemicals in, in Syria? That mission accomplished, right? But aside from that, Iran now warning the West, we want war, or, we, or we're going to build the weapons we want, and we're going to come after you. And I don't know if you caught what Assad uh, Assad or his aides have said in response to the Syrian airstrike, this was on Breitbart, senior Assad aide, airstrikes in Syria end, uh, mark end the end of the U.S. empire. And this was an aide close to Assad who goes on to talk about <clears throat> that the uh, the alliances that are being formed between Russia, China, Syria, and Iran are going to put an end to the West, but more importantly, that the West is self-destructing and going to put an end to itself. You can get this from Hagman Report, which links to the Breitbart article, and I just want to read this last sentence. Uh, the U.S., U.K., and France's evil aggression marks the beginning of the vanishing of their empires. That empire will be replaced by new forces which re- respect the humanity, sovereignty, and safety of peoples. As the sun rises from the east, the sun of the just and free world will rise from here she concluded in reference to the Syrian capital of Damascus. So, big talk coming out of Syria and Syrian officials. And then on the home front, look, we, we, we knew this. We, we spoke about this yesterday, of course, but just to kind of punctuate this again, uh, Kimba Wood, uh, isn't yep. her name Kimba? Kimba Wood. Kimba Wood officiated, judge. you know, judging Michael Cohen's case officiated George Soros' wedding. Yeah, folks, I don't know how else to say this except to reiterate this and keep saying it. The coup is on. The coup is ongoing. We're in the midst of, a, of, of an attempted takedown of Donald Trump, the reversal of, of the will of the American people. The liberals, the progressive fascists, the lunatic liberals, the lobotomized liberals, the morons on the left, are not playing by any rules. They, they, they have declared war on the conservatives, on Christians. We are in a war mode right now. Just, just understand where we're at and realize that, 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 uh, 
I mean, here we are. This is day 454 of the Donald Trump presidency. For the last 336 days, he has been under uh, assault by the special counsel like no other president in, in, in modern American history. Assault? Is it a criminal investigation? It's, um, no. Is it a <laughs> it, it, it's a, it's a, investigation? It's an investigation uh, looking for a crime. That that's what it is. <laughs> no, I know. You know, nobody can define what it really is. You no, know, you're right. It's, is yeah, of because it's yeah. gone so far from, uh, you know, extramarital affairs, twelve years before the presidential election, to obstruction of justice for doing his job and firing the discredited James Comey, who everybody on the left and right all said should be fired, to you know, Russian ele- election meddling, and we have news on that from our friend Bill Gertz at the Washington Free Beacon. If you go to Hagman Report there, you can get the link that shows that Obama chose not to sanction Russia even after the news of election meddling or hacking had taken place and uh, that he was not held accountable and for all his grandstanding about how, uh, you know, this is Trump's fault and Trump's problem. Come to find out Obama was in a position to do something about this and chose not to. But Robert Mueller, the Mueller investigation... Uh, you know, the biggest question is, uh, with the Michael Cohen and moving forward, how is this going to affect well, the Mueller investigation Joe, with what they did with Cohen? Okay. Now we have 11, uh, Republicans signing on a letter. In fact, I've got the letter okay. right here, right here. April 18th, 2018. Did you see they read that on The View today with James Comey on The View? No, I, I did not watch The View. Well, I don't, he was on I don't. The View when they read this. And what was publicly. his what was his pit, pitiful well, uh, you response? You read to the audience first, and then we'll explain. All right. You, well, I'm not going to read this entire letter. No, but just the uh, bullet points. All right. So I got to okay. So the, so he, he, here's what here's the letter. Um, it's to uh, Jeff Sessions and uh, Christopher Ray and John. Huber. And don't forget, Huber is working with Horowitz as a prosecutor to give teeth to the IG investigation. So, here are the bullet points, uh, uh, or here's the overview. Uh, we write to refer the following individuals for investigation of potential violations of federal statutes. In other words, criminal investigation. One, former FBI Director James Comey. Um, these are the people. Two, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Three, uh, former Attorney General Loretta Lynch, four, former Acting Director of the FBI Andrew McCabe, five, uh, FBI Agent Peter Strzok, and FBI Counsel Lisa Page. I guess they're twins, right? Uh, they're certainly Trists, uh, Trist partners. Um, and others here, including, let's see, uh, in no particular order, we're getting, well, let's see, you've got, uh, where are we at there with that? Um, uh, so Clinton, Comey, McCabe, Yates, Lynch, Strzok, Page, and even uh, Dana Buente. This is yeah. very interesting. This 11 House Republican sending a letter to Sessions, Ray, and uh, Huber to prosecute Clinton or to investigate and uh, ultimately prosecute Clinton, Comey, and several more. So, yeah, what was what was the what what was the reaction of James Comey, who's on his uh, well? He tour? he kind of had a. Uh, uh, gave him a face and, and then said, uh, you know, kind of avoided his own role in all of this. Uh, but, but basically said, well, this is something we gotta listen to. This is something we gotta look into. But it, it seemed to be a very awkward moment as I did not read the whole thing. But Sarah Carter is reporting 
that the uh, lawmakers make criminal referral on Clinton, Comey, Lynch to DOJ on Steele dossier. And you can go to sarahcarter.com to get the the whole article as it's... Uh, and she's plugged case. in, just to be sure. She is plugged in to the, the people who really know what's going on. And I, I can tell you this, if there is if there are 11 signers to this letter, there's another 11 behind them. Yeah, and she she points out evidence as to why each of these people listed should be uh, referred for criminal investigations, starting with the FISA court, the FISA court abuses uh, regarding the Steele dossier, presenting false and unverified information to the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court, to Comey's own lying under oath, as well as him leaking classified information, uh, top secret classified information to a friend to have it leaked into the public. Those are also crimes. And then she goes from there to talk about uh, a number of other people involved in this, from Clinton campaign and the DNC. Uh, we didn't talk about this, but on Hagman Report, there's an article uh, from Fox News detailing the complaint filed with the FEC over the money laundering of $84 million by the Hillary Clinton campaign from the DNC-owned right. state funds. Right. And we talked about this after Donna yes. Brazil's book came yep. out yep. because she talked about how the Hillary Clinton campaign took over the entirety of the DNC and basically used it as an operation to funnel money, con- contributions that were given to local and state DNC offices, and she siphoned that money all the way up in through her campaign, turning around to giving the DNC an allowance. And that is a crime if there ever was one, at least elections and and. Uh, you know, it's a violation of the federal election statutes. Different right. crimes on for fifty different, uh, you know, from interstate uh, wiring, bank fraud, on and on and on and on. I mean, there's so much here, and we also learned that the Obama Justice Department attempted to shut down the FBI's probe into the Clinton Foundation. Even Andrew McCabe getting caught up leaking information about that investigation going on, then turning around and. Uh, yelling at his subordinates for that information getting out. So all of this ties together from the e- Hillary Clinton email investigation to the uh, paid-for Russian dossier, the 2016 election, to the Russian meddling, to the special prosecutor, James Comey. All of this ties in together, in my opinion, to be the biggest political scandal in American history. It, it, it's Please, it's not a scandal. It's a, it's a, it's a, a criminal syndicate. And the, the number of people who are signing on to this and believing the rot from the Mueller camp or from the globalist camp, it, it just blows my mind, including some self-professed uh, conservatives. And, and you, you, you can see this this fracturing. It's, it's clear as day now. Uh, the, the, the people who are really the deep state globalists and deep state operatives versus those who are the freedom-loving individuals. And that's that's true in Congress. It's true in the permanent bureaucracy. And it's true in the media. And I, by the media I'm talking, I'm including the alternative or the honest media. One other thing to keep an eye on, Ninth Circuit of, uh, Court appoints a special prosecutor against Joe Arpaio. I don't know. Did you see this? Oh, no, I did not. Uh, a federal appeals court said this week it's going to appoint a lawyer, a special prosecutor, to argue, or that will argue, a former Arizona sheriff, Joe Arpaio's contempt of court conviction should remain on his record despite President Trump's pardon. The hubris in that. If you don't think for one second that we're, that right now, that we're in a civil war, you're deluding yourself. We are fighting. This is what I'm talking about. Uh, when, when I say the left is not playing by the rules, let me 
reiterate that statement. A federal appeals court said this week it'll appoint a lawyer to argue the form that former Sheriff Joe Arpaio, his contempt of court convictions should remain on his record despite President Trump's pardon. Think about that for a second. What at, at, at the nucleus of this? This is a big fu to the the powers, the office of the president. That's what this is. A, a, a big middle finger, a big contemptible action against the office of the president. And I, it, it's not just against Donald Trump; it's against all of us. And, I, and I'm saddened by this because I'm uh, we're watching a country. Uh, that is in chaos, not brought on, not brought on by President Donald Trump, but brought on by the reaction to his election by the globalist mind numbed lobotomized mopes out there. Now we yeah. have with us Brandon House, Worldview Weekend. I spoke with Brandon off air. Folks, pay attention because this affects each and every single one of us. What Brandon House is about, is about to disclose. It affects us because Obama created it, George Bush created this, uh, George H.W., George W., Barack Hussein Obama, uh, and, and all of the um, liberals out there created this. Brandon House Worldview Weekend, may God bless you for speaking up, standing up and speaking out. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Mr. Hagman, for having me. It's Doug, of course, and uh, it's our pleasure. All right, Brandon. Since you, uh, since you last came on, and broke the story here on on the Hagman Report. There's been a number of articles and and other publications that have detailed and and uh, in great detail the ordeal that you went through and this disturbing trend of censorship and oppression when it comes to Christian conservative points of view and being able to go out there in the public and speak. So just real quick, if you can, for the listeners who might have missed it, can you give us a brief rundown of what happened? And yeah. uh, okay. We'll start there. Yeah, uh, we were supposed to have been in five cities in five nights, starting out Des Moines, Iowa, the, fir- the first week of April. We were able to carry off Des Moines, Iowa only. We we're going to be in five cities in five nights. Uh, in uh, the next three cities, we were shut down. Two hotels pulled our contract and a uh, government facility as well. And so um, we are working through that. We have a legal team and a law firm in Wisconsin that has now got the case. And, uh, in fact, they called me about five or six times today to ask questions, and we hope they will be taking the case and moving forward to bring punitive uh, damages lawsuit, among other religious uh, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly lawsuits. We, we cannot stand for this. We must push back. If we allow it to stand, it will become the M.O., and it will be the end of freedom of speech and freedom of religion and freedom of assembly for not only Christians but conservatives as well. So if you're a conservative, you're a Christian, you're a libertarian, you're a Tea Party, you're an ACT, whatever the uh, party might be that you're a part of, uh, even if you're a liberal, uh, you know, at some point a totalitarian government will even uh, deal with the, quote, useful idiots that help them come to power. Uh, So this is a a religious liberty issue, but it's also a freedom of speech issue, so we're moving forward on it. Let me read, if I could, real quick, from an attorney who was coming to the event in Wisconsin. And then I want to show some video clips that will shock your audience on how so-called evangelicals within mainstream evangelicalism are now preaching a Marxist dialectic uh, to pit uh, opposites against each other, to pit people groups against each other, to pit classes, uh, economic classes against each other. This is pure neo-Marxism. But it's not coming from your liberal mainline churches. It's coming from your most supposed conservative evangelicals. Some stunning video clips I think I've sent to your team. But 
First, this is from a lawyer that was on her way to our conference in Wisconsin, La Crosse, and she ended up writing an article for the Wisconsin Christian News, and she, I guess, works with the Alliance Defending Freedom group that defends freedom of speech and freedom of religion issues. Listen to how she ends her very important article. She lays out the history of Southern Poverty Law Center, Council for American Islamic Relations, Antifa, the groups that were coming against us, and here's what she says. In the wake of these events, what is most shocking has been the silence of newspapers across the whole state regarding this extremely important and relevant First Amendment free speech right to assembly, right of access story. Since the First Amendment is the one thing that is near and dear to the editors and publishers of every newspaper in the state and is on their minds daily, then you can assume that their lack of reporting on this major story has been an intentional omission so that you are not tipped off. These leftist-controlled mouthpieces failed in an outrageous way to report this story to you. If, as a Christian or a conservative, you have always felt unsure or whether you should speak up on any particular topic or just be nice and not make waves, know that this is the time to make waves a lot and a lot of noise. Let me assure you that this is not the first warning call to the loss of free speech. It is, in fact, the last call for freedom and liberty in Wisconsin. If these extremist groups can work together to silence the very people who are trying to warn you about serious threats to our constitutional freedoms and to our way of life because of subversives and traitors working within our government halls throughout this country, then we as a free people are done. We will be marginalized until we can be eliminated. It's time for the citizens of Wisconsin to demand that their politicians become educated regarding the Muslim Brotherhood's threat to the security and sovereignty of our nation. It is time for Wisconsin Politicians to take emergency legislative action, even if they have to come back into session, in order to protect the rights of law-abiding citizens who wish to attend similar such events from the threats and actions of the Marxists, the Communists, the Islamist allies, who will be emboldened to shut every conservative event down from now on if they get no pushback or consequences this time. If your assembly people or senators refuse to become informed, take action. Then primary them or, or organize a recall. Antifa should be declared a domestic terrorist group within the borders of Wisconsin, which would give law enforcement additional tools necessary to apprehend and prosecute these violent extremists. The laws that criminalize the making of terrorist threats should be reviewed and, if needed, strengthened at once. It is time to demand that law enforcement across the state at all levels investigate the criminal actions of these groups. The Attorney General of Wisconsin should open a broad investigation into these events. United States Attorney Offices for both the Eastern and Western Districts of Wisconsin should also open and conduct simultaneous and coordinated investigations into these events that transverse both districts. Call and demand they do so. Wisconsinites of all creeds and political persuasions should be outraged at what has occurred. Stand up and speak out. Again, from the uh, Wisconsin Christian News, an article by, and commentary by Karen Mueller, who is an attorney there uh, in Wisconsin. And by the way, this isn't just occurring in Wisconsin. It is happening in many other states. It happened to other people, not just me, but it's also happened to Phil Haney, uh, Jim Simpson, uh, Sharam Hadian, and many, many others. So this is a national coordinated event. And, and just so people understand this, Brandon, you, we, we collectively – and you have our full support, but to the Marxist Muslims and to the useful idiots that are supporting this attempt to shut down conferences and speeches such as yours, shut down our freedom of speech, this is not a, um, a session of complaining here. This is us, you in particular, saying, you know what? 
we're not going to take this and we're fighting back. That's that's what this we is. Are. That's right. We are. That's, that's why we have worked to find an attorney. Um, interesting enough, I was trying to find a law firm last week. I made a few phone calls and uh, wasn't happy with what I was, uh, you know, accomplishing. Uh, Wisconsin uh, sometimes up there in the north is a little more liberal. It's harder to find conservative attorneys, but they do exist. I just have to find them. And um, so I was literally, and you know, uh, and I know you have many Christians that listen to your show, and some of them are just conservatives. They're not religious or Christians per their own description. So they may not believe this, but it's true. I was sitting at my desk a little discouraged trying to find a law firm and a, an attorney to take the case. And literally five minutes later, my phone rang with an attorney I've never talked to nor met who said, I'm very disturbed at what I've heard happen to you. I'm a conservative. I'm a Christian. Let me put you in touch with a good law firm. And that's where we're at now. And like I said, they have talked to us several times throughout the week and five times today alone collecting information and going over these contracts to uh, look at uh, uh, the, the legal options we have before us. You know what, uh, Brendan House is our guest, Worldview Weekend, folks. The link to his website is in the uh, program description. I just want to say this. We we collectively, uh, individually and collectively had warned everyone that this was going to happen. The uh, the use of the court system to silence conservatives and Christians, the use of uh, places like Southern Poverty Law Center, and, and now the exploitation and use of uh, groups like Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and other such groups to silence the conservatives, the Christians, and the, those people speaking the truth to to denounce it as hate speech. And whereas, in, in, in you know, uh, fascism, that often uh, uh, they claim we are fascists when in fact they are the fascists. But uh, the announcement here by Brandon House is, you know what? Buckle up because we're coming after you now. You you made us pay. You cost us money. We are gonna. You drew for you drew, you drew first blood. Well, guess what? We are coming after you now. We're not gonna let this happen. And we're not doing this for ourselves, Brandon. You're doing this for uh, everyone else with a voice. And not only that, for this generation and generations in the future, you're taking a stand. Your work's so important. I just want people need to understand this. What you're doing is so important. Uh, yeah, can, can continue, brother. Just continue with with everything that you need to say because this people need to know the fight is on. Yeah, we're you know I so appreciate that, Doug. We're involved in a war of really, quite frankly, defense at this point, not offense. We're not the ones that are bringing this, as you said. We didn't draw first blood. We are really involved in a war of defense, much like the founding fathers were, in that they were invaded by outsiders and King George, who brings in his troops and breaks his own British common law and Magna Carta. And the Founding Fathers said, we won't be involved in a war of offense, but we will be involved in a war of defense. And that's kind of where we're at now. And uh, the Founding Fathers would be standing with us if they were among us today. So this is a fight for all of us, and uh, that's why we're going to continue. And, you know, yet at the same time, so many of the things that are happening right now, I just talked to a friend of mine a while ago who is in uh, military intelligence, and uh, he's been following our organization and our broadcast for many years. He said, it must be really eerie for you, House. Uh, because you've written and spoken on these things for so many years, telling us exactly what was going to happen, the philosophies, the ideas, the worldview players, and how it would come to pass. And he said, and now you're seeing it in, in, in real time, uh, what you predicted. That must be eerie. And it is. And it's not because I'm so smart. It's like you guys. If you study history and you know history, you know the philosophies and the ideas, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out where we're going. I wrote this book, Grave Influence, back in 2008, came out in 2009. 21 uh, radicals in their worldviews that rule America from the grave. Then I wrote another book, uh, Religious Trojan Horse. Then my other book, The Coming Religious Right. This is 500 and some odd pages, 600 footnotes. In these books, I predicted exactly what we're seeing now. 
I predicted they would use the Hegelian dialectic process of Karl Marx, pitting opposites against each other, pitting conservatives and liberals against each other, pitting capitalism and socialism, pitting people groups against each other, and using racism to create race offenses, um, that they would use homosexuality and uh, other issues, feminism and, and other issues we see within our culture as a way to br bring conflict and then the change comes from the conflict, as Solisky said. By the way, if I can just do a shameless plug, uh, this book, The Coming Religious Right, with 500 pages, and this book, Grave Influence, along with a few other of my books, we've offered up, uh, I think, $94 now in books for just $19.99 in our bookstore. We're cleaning out all of our hardcover books, and we're only going to ebooks from now on. We just don't have a lot of time and effort to be storing and shipping, so we're going to go all to ebooks. And so they want to go to our bookstore and pick these up. I mean, this book alone normally was $25. They can get both of these books along with a few others for 20 bucks in our bookstore at wvwtv.com forward slash bookstore, wvwtv.com forward slash bookstore. But, yes, so, so much of what we have predicted in these books is they will read them, we're now seeing. So – one of the things we predicted in uh, Religious Trojan Horse is that the left and right would merge. I have a whole chapter in Religious Trojan Horse that's not in print anymore, uh, but it is available in a PDF on our website. We predicted, I predicted in one of the chapters the left and right would merge. I sent you some audio clips and video clips I think your, your audience may find very shocking if we could play a couple of those tonight because what happened last week in Kentucky is 12,000 pastors and ministry leaders gathered together for what's called Together for the Gospel. And doesn't that just sound so lovely and conservative? But it should really have been called, I believe, together for the Marxist gospel. Not that everybody there was for a Marxist liberation theology, but there were a few guys there that were indeed promoting Marxist liberation theology, the merging of socialism and Christianity, or Marxism and Christianity. One of them is a young guy that's very popular within the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention is the largest Protestant denomination in America. His name is David Platt. He was preaching flat-out racism, I believe, reverse racism, and the talking points of the Marxist. And what they have done is really goes back to the Frankfurt School that came here in America in 1933 that I wrote about in Grave Influence. And the leaders of the Frankfurt School said, well, where Karl Marx created class warfare, pitting the haves against the have-nots, we're going to pit the culture against each other. We're going to pit uh, people that are homosexuals, uh, feminists, uh, the poor, and uh, the sexual liberation movement will pit all these groups and minorities, will get all these groups to be pitted against each other so that these coalition of victims are, uh, are perceived to be victims, and the ones that are oppressing them will be the white capitalist Christians. And when we're able to paint the white capitalist Christians as the oppressors, then people will be willing to roll to a solution of bigger and bigger government to deal with this and thus destroy the socialist, or excuse me, destroy the capitalist and we can implement socialism. So Karl Marx carried out a class warfare. These guys are carrying out not only a class warfare, they've added to it a culture war. And that's where the term really comes from. And this guy here you're about to hear from in front of 12,000 pastors is preaching right out of their playbook and uh, it's quite shocking. I, I hope you guys got those video clips. Yeah, we, we do, Brandon. Uh, Tech Eric has been working hard to make sure that he has those ready and uh, we can get to those anytime you want. 
just want to ask you this. What recourse do we have if not only the government organizations and the mainstream media are opposing, you know, our, uh, the Christian conservative worldview, but also the, the courts not defending our right to our First Amendment of freedom of speech? What recourse do we have then? And then I want to also ask you after the clips, if we have time, what we can do to better organize. We see how organized that the left is. Uh, you know, they are, that's the one thing that they are so efficient at and have down as the organization. What can we do to organize at a grassroots level on the Christian conservative side to the point where we can make a difference? But we can uh, hit those clips anytime. All right. What, Eric, do we, do we lose you, Brandon? Are we? Yeah, we're here. I was just waiting for that first Okay. Clip. All right. Let's, uh, let, let's play clip one. I hope, I hope I put these in, in the correct order, Brandon. But in this they, uh, sinful world, we differentiate according to supposed race. And for this reason, we must look at the reality of racism. And when I use that term, I'm not just referring to the extremes that we often think of. Extremes that help us, particularly those of us who are white, distance ourselves from racism. When I'm using that term, I'm referring to, so here's the definition I'm using. A system could be individual, could be institutional, could be society, societal, a system in which race, and specifically as we're talking tonight, black or white skin color, profoundly affects people's economic, political, and social experiences. A system in which race is significant enough to be regularly acknowledged and mentioned. A system of thought, practice, that is ever subtly present among us, in me. Well, you know, what he's mentioning there, guys, is he's, he's really pulling a lot of this out of a book called Divided by Faith. And if you go look up the book Divided by Faith, he makes reference to it here in a minute. It's written by two guys on Amazon. And the book is written by two progressives who are funded, uh, according to my research, by some leftist organizations that fund some of their work. But the, one of the authors has actually written a book in 1991 uh, praising liberation theology, that is the mixture of Christianity with Marxism. And he admits he's reading from this book, and then he says that the book is available in the bookstore at this conference. Now, you need to understand, this is not some mainline leftist conference. This is a conference that is attracting some of the most conservative pastors, so-called conservative pastors and Christians in America, last week in Kentucky, 12,000 of them, and he's going to tell you that racism is based on a system. Notice he says a system. What is that system? Well, the Frankfurt School that came to America in 1933 with the invitation of John Dewey, one of their leaders, Herbert Marcuse, who coined the phrase, make love, not war, said that we are in a new revolution. The old way of revolution is old-fashioned. The new way will be a diffused and dispersed disintegration of the system. And here he is saying racism is about a system, and we need to somehow be involved in giving people more political and economic freedom, as though the, quote, church that he's, and the Christians and pastors he's talking to, that he goes on to say the church in America is, is worsening the racial divide, which I don't believe for one minute, that the church somehow has now got to fix the political and economic injustices of the world that he lays out. And he goes on to lay out what those are. The high unemployment in the black community, the crime in the black community, the, the rate of death of, of babies in the black community when they're born, uh, income equality. Now, first of all, why do we have high unemployment in the black community? Because, not because of churches being racist or white people being racist, because the government through progressive programs 
hacks up the minimum wage, hikes up the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour is what they're trying to do now, but they get it so high in certain places and then they add a county minimum tax, uh, minimum wage tax, that businesses can't afford to pay someone that amount of money to make pizzas. And so that business closed down and goes to another county that isn't forcing this minimum wage laws. So why do we see high unemployment? Because the government starts restricting the free market system so people either shut down, move, or they automate. And again, same thing with crime. What's going on with crime? Go look at black-on-black -black crime in St. Louis, black-on-black -black crime in Kansas City, Missouri, black-on-black -black crime in Memphis, Tennessee. He is not giving you a corrective perspective of what's really happening. He is, he is, in fact, spouting the talking points of the Marxists and saying, we need to give more political and economic freedom in America. If we don't do this, we're racist. And this is the talking points of the Marxists. And we can go to the next clip, because he'll just keep on rolling this to you at a conservative Christian pastor's conference. Clip two here. So we're not talking here about blunt prejudice or individual animosity alone. Like, and we're not just talking about the past either. We're looking at the reality of racism now, today. And this is so important because when we look back in American history, and some, maybe many people, especially white people, wonder, aren't we past this? Like, yes, slavery was wrong, but slavery is gone and has been for decades. But the reality is we could have said that in 1955. But we all know that racism was alive and well, right? So likewise, we could say today, okay, but everybody uses the same water fountains now and we can all sit on the bus wherever we want, which is true. And we need to pause and praise God that those things have changed. I praise God for pastors in this room and people in our churches, white, black, and otherwise, who have worked in different ways to change these realities in our country over the last 50 years. Praise God these are not realities anymore. But just because these realities are no longer true does not mean racism is gone. So let me paint a picture of our country with an admittedly broad stroke. So I'm not talking about any specific city or community here, but the reality is the facts are. Some of these facts come from a helpful book called Divided by Faith, which is in the bookstore. But the facts are black Americans are much more likely to be unemployed than white Americans. The current ratio of two unemployed black people for every one unemployed white person has held pretty constant since 1950. Income inequality between white and black people is close to 50% worse, wider today than it was 40 years ago. African American babies die at a rate over twice the frequency of white babies. African-American mothers are four times more likely to die in childbirth than white American mothers. Young African-American males are six times more likely to be murdered than are young white American males. We've all heard the black-white disparities in the criminal justice system that have been highlighted over recent years. You put it all together, you look at every study there is, and you will see that white Americans are far more likely than black Americans to get a quality education, to have a high-paying job, and to live in a more affluent neighborhood with less crime. So again, what he's rattling off there are all political things that he somehow wants now the church to rush in and fix these political things as though we could fix them. We've tried fixing them by telling the government to get your hand out of my pockets, quit doling out welfare recipient programs where people have no incentive to go work, and quit doing things that hurt 
the minority community. Now, you don't want to take my word for it, then I recommend a book by a young black author by the name of Jason Riley. He wrote a book called Stop Helping Us by a young black man, Jason Riley. You'll find it on Amazon. I, I think it's just a secular conservative book. And he wrote the book called Stop Helping Us, How the Progressives and the Government Progressive Programs Are Hurting the Black Community. Uh, it's very much what Star Parker wrote in her book, Uncle Sam's Plantation. So again, this young man, uh, David Platt, uh, is very immature, I think, spiritually, but very immature when it comes to common sense. But he's a hero among the Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, which is the largest Protestant denomination in America. But if you're giving your money to a Southern Baptist church, likely percentages of it are going back to the Nashville headquarters through their cooperative program, and you're funding this kind of trash. And by the way, it's not only in that denomination, it's in pretty much every denomination now. We have a whole new book coming out that, I'll be, that I'm writing now. It will be out this fall called Marxianity. Marxianity. I don't know if anyone's ever used that phrase. I came up with it the other day. Never heard thought, of you know, it. This is Marxism mixed with Christianity. Marxianity. It'll be out this fall detailing how some of the biggest so-called conservative evangelical uh, the church denominations are working with some of the most liberal, globalist, antichrist foundations to push cultural Marxism. We have already documented some of the leading evangelical groups and their associations, denominations, colleges, and seminaries working with George Soros's Open Foundation, George Soros, the globalist, Open Society Foundation, with the Kern Family Foundation, and with the uh, uh, John Templeton Foundation. By the way, John Templeton... Uh, who gives out the Templeton Award. He's deceased now, but his foundation goes forward. He openly wrote that he wanted to create a world religion that did not rely upon any sacred text. And yet these globalist foundations have infiltrated some of the most conservative evangelical denominations in America. And as I predicted in Religious Trojan Horse, we are now going to watch the left and right merge, and you're going to watch them now set up true conservatives, true patriots, Tea Party people, and true conservative Christians is haters and bigots if you don't get on board with their cultural Marxism. You want to go to the next clip? Yeah, cue it up right now. Because I look at my life and ministry, and in so many ways, my world has been so white. But I look around at my country, it's not so white. So why is my world so white? Why have the churches I've been a part of and led in been so white? Why is the missions organization I lead so predominantly white? How can I, with supposed zeal for the nations, be so blind to such injustice among peoples in my own nation? These are questions that I have for far too long ignored. And I don't think they're just for me to ask. Why are so many of our churches so white? Why are so many of our institutions, our seminaries and mission organizations, so white? If I could be so bold, and I say this respectfully because I love this conference and have been so impacted by it over the last 10 years, and I'm so honored to be a part of it, but don't we need to at least stop and ask the question, why is this conference so white? 
Like, look around this arena. Don't we at least need to ask the question and address it together? Like, we all hate slavery. We all hate Jim Crow laws. Certainly, we cannot be content then with churches, seminaries, mission organizations, and conferences that look like time capsules preserving the divisive effects of the past. This is not the kind of distinction from the world God is calling us to. He is calling us to show what, show the world what true multi-ethnic community can be. Jeez. And, and if I can just jump in here, Brandon, they make it sound as though there is this movement inside the church that the church is part of this segregation, uh, movement that this is the way the church likes it to have, you know, uh, you know, white churches over here and African American churches over here. It, it's unbelievable what, what, uh, is passing off as, as teachings in the church today. Well, it, it, what he doesn't know, cause he's so immature, I believe. I mean, does anyone think this guy's really not unhinged? I mean, I personally, my opinion is he seems a little unhinged. And this whole sniveling through the whole speech that he does, I guess he does that in all his sermons, I'm told. That's not normal, I don't think. I, I think a lot of these guys got some emotional issues, some suck. I think they certainly, seriously have some spiritual problems. But I have to wonder if David Platt isn't really shouldn't be called David Plant. I'd like to know who planted him within the Southern Baptist Convention to push this trash. I'd like to know who planted a lot of these guys where they are to bring in this neo-Marxism wrapped in Christianity. What he's done here is he is creating uh, racism offenses. And that is exactly what the Marxists said they would do with the Marxist Frankfurt School that came to America. They would create racist uh, 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 oppression narratives and then say let's blame it all on Christianity and capitalism so he is creating I think racism offenses by the way does he not know that after the Civil War that there were black churches that were were formed and black church denominations and associations that were created after the Civil War with the blessing of many white churches who helped them form and get started with their own black church denominations so they would not be under white supervision, as was the case before the Civil War. And many Christians, white Christians, helped them get their own church denominations. And the black people wanted this. You know, we have a church in Richmond, Virginia, I looked up today, called the First African Baptist Church. There's another one by the same name in Savannah, Georgia. Look, if they want to have First African Baptist Church, that's their business. Why do they have to integrate into the white churches if they want to instead choose to have a church that represents their style or their preference in music, which is not uncommon? The music in many black churches is not what you'll find in some of the white churches. That is just culture. And if they want that, why is that a problem? Sure, every church should be open for anyone to come. Red and yellow, black and white, not a problem. But if they want to have a church of their own with their own style of music, with a preacher that has their own style, and many of the Baptists or uh, the black pastors here in the South and around the country tend to fall into a theology, a liberation theology, or a word of faith theology, or a prosperity gospel theology, that some of the white folks in their theology, they don't agree with that theology. So you do have many churches that are integrated, but if a black church wants to get together and have the first African Baptist church, as I see in Savannah, Georgia, or Richmond, Virginia, I'm not offended by that, and I'm not saying, wow, they're racist, look at them. No, that is their prerogative to defend their heritage and their culture and what they want. Now, all churches should be open for everybody. Exactly. And I don't go to a church with all white people. But David Platt even admitted, which we didn't hear in one of these sound clips, but he admitted in his speech that his church outside of Washington, D.C., 
has 106 nations represented. So what is he sniveling about? His own church, he said, has 106 nations represented. And I would venture to guess there are many, many people on this broadcast tonight that go to church with people of many people groups. But he is creating an offense that is not there. But most importantly, he's defining racism as not coming against someone because of their God-created people group. But he's defining racism as a system that allows for unemployment, crime, the death of babies, which is horribly sad. But that has nothing to do with racism. We live in a sinful, fallen world, and we have a government that has destroyed the black community largely and minority communities through progressive socialism. That is not the fault of the church. That's the fault of the government. In fact, it is many people in the church that fought slavery. It was the white Republicans that ended slavery. It was white Republicans and conservatives and Americans that died, their family members did, fighting in the Civil War. It is the Republicans in 1866 that gave us the Civil Rights Bills. It was the Republicans that did this in 1956. It was the Republicans that did this in 19, the mid-1960s. The Republicans kept doing this. Christians kept doing this. David Platt is an ignorant boob, in my opinion, and what he's offering up is typical race-baiting of the Marxist, and I'd like to know if anyone's paying him to preach this trash. You want to go to the next clip? Brandon, that's a, a great question. You know, you have to ask, are people being compensated for uh, putting out a certain message? We've heard for years and years and years now that the Department of Homeland Security, as well as other fe federal agencies, have gone into churches talking to pastors, wanting to review their curriculums, wanting to uh, offer suggestions and inputs as to what they believe the churches should be uh, adding into their messages. So there's n it's not out of the realm of possibilities when you say that, as some people might think, that some of these people could be paid in order to promote certain messages. But Eric, this, do, we, do we have another clip? This document right here is called The Evangelical Social Engagement. I bought it off Amazon and I read it. Evangelical social engagement. Tim Keller, Rick Warren, many others are involved in this. Of course, Tim Keller is a neo-Marxist. He promotes three Marxists, including the father of liberation theology, which is the mixture of so, uh, Marxism with Christianity. The father, Gustav, he mentions in his publications, along with two other Marxists, Tim Keller does, but never tells his readers that what he's quoting are three Marxists. Tim Keller, I have a whole series on him on our website at wvwtv.com two-part series on the globalist deep state, the evangelical globalist deep state, part one and two. I'll be adding to it. I have two programs on Matt Chandler, who is preaching white privilege. I have programs coming on, already on radio at worldviewradio.com this week that go into this, at worldviewradio.com. I have programs coming for television on this. And many of these guys are pushing the idea of the three-legged stool. Rick Warren, Tim Keller, and many of these guys are pushing it in these kind of documents right here, social, uh, even double social engagement, among other documents, including a, a document called Civilitas that I have as well. And what they're pushing in this document is known as the three-legged stool that I write about in my book, Religious Trojan Horse. And what it is is you get big government, big business, and the nonprofit sector. Big government, big business, and the nonprofit sector to come in and to slay the five global giants, as Rick Warren calls them. And so what you do now is you get the government involved with foundations, nonprofits, churches, and big business, and the churches become social service centers to distribute social services and push this social justice, social gospel movement. And what they're going to do is they're going to infiltrate, and already are, the churches with people like David Plant. His name is David Plant. We should call him David Plant because I think that's what he is. He's a neo-Marxist plant, in my opinion. 
You get guys like Tim Keller, Rick Warren, and David Platt to push this trash, and then the churches are redesigned. They give the church a new focus or a new purpose, and that is no longer the preaching of a biblical gospel, but a social gospel. They redefine racism as being someone opposing someone over their God-given race or people group, and now racism is unemployment and crime, and somehow if we have this, it's because Christians and Americans are racist, and we need to do, fix this and create the kingdom of God on earth. Well, that's not going to happen. We cannot build the kingdom of God on earth. God's kingdom doesn't get built by us. It gets brought by God himself in Daniel chapter 2. But what they're doing is turning the churches into social service centers by infiltrating it with twisted scripture that Jesus was a social justice warrior. This is what Jesus was all about. Taking verses from the Olivet Discourse that deal with the poor, and Jesus is talking about the spiritual poor, the spiritual bankrupt, those who need the gospel of Jesus Christ, faith, and repentance. They turn it to the natural world and say, see, Jesus was looking to fight poverty. Now you need to be like Jesus. So now they've turned Jesus into a social justice, socialist, Marxist warrior. They then bring this into the church and say, if you're a good Christian, you'll do this too, and you'll contribute your money to this. And if you don't, you're a racist and a bigot and not a good Christian. Then these social service centers that used to be churches are now community organizations with the pastors being community organizers. Now the foundations will give them money and they will also get government money, which is allowable now if you go look on the Justice Department website. Churches can now get government money. The only catch, no Bible printing, no Bible distribution, no gospel preaching, no proselytizing, no gospel tracts. So they claim they're going to give out the gospel when they go into partnership with the government. It's a social gospel of Walter Rauschenbusch, the founder of the uh, of Walter Rauschenbusch, the founder of the social gospel movement, who was a Fabian socialist, who, by the way, said that socialism will not work in an irreligious government or irreligious nation. So the father of the social gospel movement was a Fabian socialist, and the Fabian socialist logo is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And they said we will co-opt religion and we will use religion to further this. So most people think the communists of the past are atheists. No, the communists of today are no longer atheists. Today they are highly spiritual, religious people because they realize if you persecute the church, it will grow. Don't persecute it. Purchase it. Purchase it. Buy it. Tell them you'll give them foundation, grant money, government money to be distribution centers. Now this is exactly what Rick Warren has promoted at the global Clinton Global Initiative where he talks about training over 500,000 churches around the globe with all the religions, temples, mosques, and churches to defeat the global giants. The kick here, here is they won't purchase the ch persecute the church. They will purchase it by turning it into Marxist social service centers with twisted scripture. And this trash is not coming from mainline only. It is now coming from Southern Baptist, Evangelical Free, Assembly of God, Missionary Alliance. I don't care the denomination. We have it in all the documentation. Brandon, we uh, are going to skip the break. We have that final clip ready to go for you if you want to, to play that. And everything you just said is right on the money, and I could continue uh, talking about special rights and and uh, the intolerance that these people uh, continue to spew in the under the guise of tolerance. But you want to play that final clip? Yeah. All right, okay, let's, let's rock. Think back to that graphic on the screen which on one hand is extremely discouraging, but I think there's another way to look at that picture. And that's to see it as extremely encouraging. 
And the way it's encouraging is the opportunity it represents. Just think about two individuals, one on each side here. So a white follower of Christ far on the left side, a black follower of Christ far on the right side. They think about racism and the reasons behind it in totally different terms. It affects so much of how they view the world economically, socially, politically. They're on opposite ends of the spectrum. But now picture those two people in the same church, listening to each other, learning from one another and loving one another in authentic Christian community That makes no sense to the world. And that is what we want in our churches. The kind of churches that cause people to say, how are those people together? In each of our churches, we want to be a group of people from different economic positions and political persuasions who if we were in some political discussions, we'd be on opposite sides of the aisle. But when we gather together as the church and all throughout the week, we're sitting right next to each other with our Bibles open because this is what unites us. The Word of God unites us. The Word made flesh. Jesus unites us. Our politics don't. But our Savior does. But yet the whole time, the whole time he's preaching politics. So what is his solution to this system of racism? And by the way, he defines racism as unemployment and crime, as though the church has anything to do with that. There are many churches that have pastors, I mean, uh, sheriffs and police officers and other people working in their community as law enforcement to stop crime. Uh, we have many Christians at work in the inner city and in gospel missions preaching a true gospel. And, and so, again, how are we? We're, we're not the government. How is the church to fix these problems uh, that, again, have been created by a big government? So notice he says we need to set aside politics while he preaches politics. But he's getting this graph from this book, Divided by Faith, which one of the authors wrote a book praising liberation theology, mixing Marxism with Christianity. But notice what he's saying, the solution, after he, after he says we need to have a whole new system put in place. What does he say is the solution? Does he go to the Bible for a solution? No, he goes to a bunch of progressives who wrote this book, Divided by Faith, and that's their chart he was showing that says that white Christians think a lot of the problems of poverty is due to individual responsibility and choices and ideas have consequences. Uh, black Christians believe it's a, a system that needs to be refixed. And the solution, bring all these together into one church. What's he calling for? He's calling for merging conservatives and progressives together. Conservatives and progressives. By the way, I I predicted that in my book, Religious Trojan Horse, because there were a group of guys that got together and wrote a document called Third Way. Progressives and evangelicals together. And their whole idea is, let us bring progressive socialists into mainstream evangelicalism and bring about the dialectic. Thesis and antithesis, idea, opposite idea, pit each other and have a new synthesis or community. That comes right out of George Hegel, followed by Karl Marx, followed by the Marxist Frankfurt School that came here in 1933 at the invitation of John Dewey. So as you bring in the progressives into your churches, you supposedly have to set aside your biblical worldview when it comes to economics and government and the purpose of government and, and stealing. And so now your biblical worldview has got to be set aside. And now instead of thou shalt not steal, now it's, yeah, go ahead and steal my money, give it to the government to redistribute to somebody else. No, the Bible says don't steal, don't covet, don't be involved in ill-gotten gains. But you bring the progressive into your church, you buy into their idea, you got to shut up or you're not interested in consensus and unity, and therefore you're a racist. And so what you end up doing is compromising conservatives in their own churches to buy into this liberal trash. Then their churches are silenced and weakened, not persecuted, but now they're purchased. Now they get into relationships with think tanks, foundations, global organizations, 
and the government to redistribute community services because this is what Jesus would have the church do, be a community organization, instead of what Ephesians 4 says, is equip the saints for work of ministry and then go out and preach a biblical gospel, not the social gospel. People are dying and you're giving them water bottles on their way to hell, thinking that's going to make them better when they go to hell with a nice suit and a full stomach. It will do no, them no favors in eternity. But these useful idiots have infiltrated evangelical mainstream Christianity, and most people don't see it, and some of your biggest Bible teachers in America are hosting these people and sharing the platform with this neo-Marxist worldview. Well, you can uh, put a full stop right there, because you said it all. You've got the, really, the the, uh, disil- or the uh, dilution of the gospel. You've got this attempt to make this one world religion. That's what it's all about, isn't it? I, I mean, it, by the way, some of the biggest leaders in evangelicalism are meeting at Wheaton College this week that include Tim Keller, Keller, Tim, by the way, neo Marxist Tim Keller, along with Ed Stetzner of the Southern Baptist Convention. These guys, along with others, are meeting to deal with what? Conservative Christians and pastors that are supporting the policies of Donald Trump. So a false, I believe a false dominant church is being set up to come against real conservative Christians and conservatives, and they will be doing the persecuting, and then when a new, a progressive, tyrannical government comes into power, this false church will persecute real Christians and conservatives, and the government will let it happen and set the tone until these, this false church demands laws that shut us down on internet, Christian radio, fairness doctrine, hate crime, and the false church will be applauding it, saying they're getting what they deserve. So watch as a false church is built, and the cover is given to the government by the false church, applauding them for persecuting real Christians and conservatives. And evidence of that is seeing our churches uh, wholly embrace the perversions of the world. And it's really sad to see the apostate churches continue down that road. But we as a congregation are responsible for that. And we have to find the solutions in order to turn that ship around. Brandon House, thank you so much for joining us. And we thank you for being on the front lines, fighting these battles against care, fighting these battles against censorship, and continuing to proclaim the Word of God. Thank you so much. By the way, Brandon, I'm going to be going right after the show to wvwtv.com slash bookstore and picking up those books. Right? And then you get a lot of free stuff on our website at wvwtv.com. A lot of free stuff there to watch. All right. God bless you, my friend. You're, you're, you're in the, you're on the front lines and, uh, I thank you. We thank you and our audience thanks you. Uh, well, we'll, we'll be talking. And for, for using your platform to help us get out our message tonight. It's an important message. We'll be talking okay. soon. Okay. All right. Thank, thank you. you All right. Thank you. Folks, that was Brandon House. Uh, an incredibly important message because at the end of the day, what, what is this all about? This is all about our salvation. It's at risk because the, the social justice warriors, the self-proclaimed social justice warriors, which, who are none other than, or, or just basically, uh, uh, Marxists and, and communists, I suppose, uh, pushing for a one world, one world religion. And Give Marxists a bad name. Yeah, exactly. The so these the are. infiltration into the evangelical church, there it is. And, and yet you're, you're still going to find people who find fault with, with our reporting of it. It's not about us, by the way, but, but watch how this creates the infighting and watch the fallout from this. So give us a thumbs up, Eric. Eric's got like, got like 15 things going on all at once. And I just want to say thank you to Eric the tech. Uh, a heartfelt thanks. Uh, folks, if you could see him work behind the scenes, you would be tired just watching him. 
of course, John Robertson as well. Not and, only uh, on the day-to-day work uh, yeah. that he does on a regular basis, but all the extra and special projects and, and plans that he creates and things he does behind the scenes. Uh, yesterday after you uh, yeah, uh, took the meeting, yep. uh, I showed the audience not only the awesome business cards that Eric designed, but also the, the fancy case that he got uh, for us to have the business cards in. And just little things like that, day after day. And so much of what he's doing, you'll see that come to fruition and the fruits of that labor in the spring and, and the, early summer as we transition yeah. to. Uh, and and, and the, the, there's a, a really, Joe, I, sorry for cutting you off, but no, there no. is really a, um, a, a plan here that we are working, and it's going to, you're going to be amazed at the level of content, the quality of content, the the guests that the that John is working twenty four seven, people that that you would recognize in an instant coming on, giving their information, uh, it's just it's it's phenomenal. So we're, we are pushing forward in the face of adversity, using the look. We we've got headwinds. We're we're going against the headwinds here. I will say this. I will say this. We can and we will prevail. Uh, we will prevail in terms of the censorship. We will prevail in terms of the uh, the lawfare. We will prevail in terms of the decay, the intentional uh, decay of our moral uh, or the attacks against our, our moral uh, and and Christian heritage. Uh, the we will prevail. And however, we're not fighting for ourselves. It's not we, Joe and I. It's not the Hagman Report that will prevail. It is. Each and every one of us, you will prevail as well, because we will be speaking for you or fighting for you in this war in which we face. Speaking about a war, you know, sometimes in battle, you need what? What do you need in battle? Of course, you need a, a good supply line. You, you that supply line, man. You can't. You begin outpacing the supply line, you've got problems. You need tools, implements, instruments. One of the tools. Now listen carefully, please, because if you are, if you are fighting the battle, and each one of you is, every single day, you're fighting this battle. Whether it's with a family member, a friend, a coworker, or whatever venue, you're fighting some battle. So you need tools, but you also need that ability to recharge, refresh. Maybe your battle is a physical one. Maybe your battle is just being cloudy. Maybe your battle is not being able to sleep because of the onslaught of headlines. This is why I personally ask Michael Terrell, whole tones, to come back. He, he appeared last week on our show. Uh, if you if you are unfam un, yeah I can talk. If you're unfamiliar with whole tones. You've got to get familiar with it. Go to wholetonesfree.com. Wholetonesfree.com. It's on the screen right now. Go there. You know, Michael Terrell has taken the world by storm in the past three years. 160 plus countries, topping billboard shops, charts, and most importantly, hundreds of thousands of people finding peace, spiritual healing, focus, serenity, whatever. Sound sleep as a result of listening to the music project by WholetonesFree.com. Available at WholetonesFree.com. He was on before. You heard him talk about frequencies. 
You heard him talk about what happened in Germany with frequencies, Nazi Germany with frequencies. You, there is a science to this. There is an art as well to this. I consider what Michael Terrell has done to the music industry as important as taking a quality supplement, nutritional supplement, or staying hydrated. Uh, that's how important I consider this because we are, we, we're living in an age where we're getting hit from all sides. I, I, one thing, and then I'm going to go right to Michael Terrell again. I, folks, if you're listening to this, bookmark wholetonesfree.com. That's with a W, W-H-O-L-E, tonesfree.com. Bookmark that site. But, but here's one thing I noticed and I, you got to listen to this. Last week, uh, Eric the Tech and I took, uh, the, our Holtones package and we took it to DC with us when we were out there. And, uh, it made a difference in our ability to focus and to relieve stress. You want to talk about stress? That's the belly of the beast in the car between meetings. That's what, that's all we listened to. We turned off the tube, you know, the TV. We turned off the, news radio and we listened to this it made a difference when I got back when I got back I put Whole Tones on in the bedroom and I watched Lady the studio dog climb into bed and honest to goodness normally some nights very restless for the next two nights because we're shoot every night it's a it's a ritual with us process my wife and I putting on Whole Tones stress relief four paws up lady the studio dog sleeping like a baby my wife too sleeping like a baby and don't think that was that was an exception to the rule anytime we use that the sleeping um uh uh uh, uh, music she just both my wife and lady deep sleep myself too but i noticed something else talk about hurting Eric the Tech said, you know, it was like driving through Baghdad, the streets, from DC to where, to Northwest Pennsylvania. Got home. You know, it, 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 it hurts your body. Quick recovery time. I don't know what Michael Terrell has, has done with this music. Mind and body healing. Adults, children, and pets. So I asked Michael Terrell if, if he would come back on and uh, talk some more because I consider this mandatory in my toolbox. And so does Joe, and so does Eric the Tech, so does John, so does Jackie, the entire crew here at the Hagman Report. I hope I didn't take too much of your time. Michael Terrell, thanks for coming back. Boy, it's an honor to be with you guys again. I've missed you both, Doug and Joe. I really have. Missed you as well, and I apologize for taking so long uh, for, uh, of an introduction. But I people need to understand how how important this is. Well, I can tell you that um, we've talked about this before, but you know, people are struggling so much with fear and apprehension, and you know, when you see when you hear the term fake news. I mean, if you expect any truth or reality out of it, that's going to cause stress. If you look at nonsense 
um, it never contains sense in the first place. So if you're trying to make sense out of nonsense, that's never going to happen either. So um, there's a lot of social unrest, a lot of stress, a lot of henny pen, the sky is falling. Um, and for me, the big picture is I'm in full agreement with you. Uh, what it really takes, though, to see how powerful things are is to realize how many of us are out there and that we all have each other's back. And what's more, um, you guys are making a dent in this every single day. And my heart of hearts is that I want to mask the negative frequencies. I want to be able to offer people um, and the ability to be able to change the environment in their home because when people come back from the workspace or when people come you know away from the water cooler and everybody's talking about the end of the world or you know impeach this guy or do this or this guy's lying or all that it really takes away from our relationships it takes away from what we've talked about before our ability to be able to communicate and love one another because we're always talking about the next mud ball that some politician threw at another mud ball or some insidious thing that's happening and we forget to talk about all of the positive things that are happening in the world and our ability to be able to radically change our own environment, change ourselves and ultimately change the world. You know, you said so much there because we, we every one of us, and I'm sure most people listening and watching this broadcast Man, we're so immersed in the problems. We see the problems. The frustration internally grows. And it's, 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 it can, it gets to you. It gets, I was talking yeah. to my daughter today. Um, she's, well, I was talking, I'll just, and she was like, wow, you know, how do you do this every day? Um, you know, and, and I'll tell you something. What you have developed, has made a difference in our work environment. It's made a, a difference in our home environment. And I'm not so sure we would be where we're at today without your, without, without whole tones. And I'm not saying that lightly. I'm not, and folks, I'm not getting paid to say this today. I, I just understand this. I, I, and you've got a big heart. You've developed something that I respect a lot. And when, when I find something that works, I will shout it from the rooftops. And I want everybody to experience what, what we are, what we're experiencing here. And that's that revitalization that you're talking about and that cohesion, right? I mean, it's great, but how did you do this? <laughs> if you well, you know, it's amazing, Doug. Um, it, as most great, um, discoveries over time, we'll find if we digress and go back in history, it usually came from a question that was asked that somebody couldn't answer or by subtraction. It's not always that someone wakes up, you know, every day and they have this cognizant idea and suddenly they, uh, ah, Eureka. It's usually um, by asking a question. And one of the questions I asked early on, Doug, um, at a music store is why is the tuner that we use to tune um, our musical instruments, uh, why is it calibrated to this particular frequency, which for our listeners that don't know already, um, typically in the United States, it's A, the note A, equals 440 hertz. And so with that being said, you know, I asked this question expecting an answer from the manager of the music store. I figured he would tell me, well, this is why it's calibrated, and he had no idea. And then the next 50 or 60 or 70 people that I talked to that should have been experts at that couldn't answer a simple question from a young man. Uh, it really pushed me into, you know, the rabbit's hole. It really pushed me into a place of seeking and trying to determine, guys, why would somebody 
decide to tune instruments to this particular frequency when there's thousands of frequencies that we could choose from. I did a lot of research, and that research led me back to Nazi Germany and a specific person named Joseph Goebbels, who was the right-hand man to Adolf Hitler, who was in charge of what? Mind control, right, and propaganda. And part of between him and Joseph Mengele, they did human experiments, and one of uh, Joseph Goebbels' wheelhouses was how he could interrupt the circadian rhythm of man or cause internal chaos in the body, which is diametrically opposed to what whole tones is all about. But with that being said, he was the first person to actually coin the phrase the German radio beat, which was the actual uh, 440 hertz um, is what they broadcast on German radio. It was also a frequency that he believed that the whole world should tune their musical instruments to. So during wartime, <laughs> you would think there was more important things to be concerned with. During wartime, Joseph Goebbels did a tour of 13 different countries that tried to convince them to go to a unilateral style of tuning the instruments all to this 440 German radio beat. Um, only two countries bought in. Unfortunately, the United States and Canada were the only two countries that went along with this idea that that should be the tuning center. Even though it's called standard tuning, there technically isn't any standard tuning because if you guys went on a plane with me to Venezuela tonight and I took my American tuner, and I tune my guitar, then the people from Venezuela tune their instruments to their tuner, we would still be horrendously out of tune with each other because technically other countries tune to different tuning centers. So you asked the good question, and the good question is, how did I get to this point? It started with a trip to Israel with a pastor friend of mine. Basically, my job on that trip was to help him and to read and proofread his book, which was called Your People Shall Be My People. Uh, I didn't go there for myself, wasn't expecting anything other than what I always expect from Israel, which is the most amazing revelatory time. Uh, upon getting to Ben-Gurion, I asked Don, uh, Don Finto, my pastor at that time, are we going to get a GPS uh, for our rental car? And he said, heavens no, why do we need a GPS for? He said, we're just going to get in the car and let Holy Spirit take us where we've got to go. And uh, I thought that was fascinating. I had never engaged in that type of faith before. And we got in the car, and he gave me the keys, which was kind of scary because I have no sense of direction, and I'm driving around in a country I've never been before. And so he said, I have this sense we're supposed to go to this coffee house in Jerusalem on Ben Yehuda Street. And I said, okay. And at that time, I didn't even drink coffee, but I thought, hey, he's the boss. So he said, this man, who's a real dear friend of mine named Reuven, is going to meet us there. And I said, oh, so you already set this up, and he goes, oh no, he doesn't even know we're in Israel, he lives in Tel Aviv, but the Spirit of the Lord told me that he was going to meet us there, and I said, okay, so we went to this coffee house, and um, when I walked in the door, I heard this fantastic piano player, and I looked, and against the, you know, the wall, there was a little stage, and this guy playing piano, and as soon as I got in the, the, uh, the coffee house, he started staring a hole through me, and it was like, He's giggling and staring at me, and it was super awkward. It was like, oh, my gosh, what do I do now? He's giggling and laughing and staring at me. And so finally I just closed my eyes and I listened to the music, and I recognized those as American worship songs, I mean, songs that many of us would recognize. He was playing these songs in a Hasidic coffee house, an ultra-Orthodox Jewish coffee house. But since they were instrumental, they had no idea that these songs were about Jesus. And so... I'm giggling now because I'm realizing this guy's getting away with it, you know, because nobody would know. And after his set, he came to the table and introduced himself as David, which I wasn't shocked, and uh, had a real 
interesting um, introduction. He said, I prayed this morning, and the Lord told me to pack up my life's work, that I would be giving it away. I've taken it as far as I can take it. And um, he said, you're a believer, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. And he said, I knew it. He goes, that's why I was giggling, because when you walked in, I saw a light on you. I saw the light on your countenance, and I knew that you loved God. And he's, I said, what's your life's work, David? And he said, I've decoded the Psalms of King David. And I, I couldn't really talk for a minute. I had to take all of that in, decoding the Psalms of David. And so I pressed him. I said, what exactly does that mean? And he said, well, I believe that I've found notation for many of the Psalms, and, and I have uh, both it on tablature and on um, this rare form type of uh, you know music, which is like avant-garde notation. And he said, I'm supposed to give it to you. He said, Yeshua said you were going to know what to do with it. And I'm sitting there going, I don't even know what you're talking about. But um, he said, if you can wait here until my next break, I'm going to go to my car and I'm going to bring you um, my work and it's yours. So I waited. And as he went back to play again, I see Don, my my pastor, stand up and smile and run to the door. And in walks his friend Reuben, who had no idea we were in Israel, who lives two hours away in Tel Aviv. And he's walking through the coffee house door because God told him to go to the coffee house too. So I'm amazed. And when David comes back with the music, I looked at it. Some of it is tablature. And for your listeners tonight, tablature is simple. It's what we would use if we were playing guitar, keyboards. It's the, the typical chord charts as well as the melodic structure, you know, measures and notes, little black dots on white paper. We're all used to that. But the other set of music was what I would call avant-garde notation, or what the Italians called solfeggi or sight singing, and it was simply uh, intervallic lines that you would know when a when a tune went up or went down. Like you know, like when we're kids in first language, isn't it funny? We only learn melody. We don't learn chord structure. We don't learn polyphony. You know, like Mary had a little lamb. And so so the the um, the music would just be the lines of those notes where your voice would have an inflection. So, in theory, what would happen is fathers would teach their sons these melodies and the tunings, and in turn, they would teach their sons. And what's funny is that since the day I was a kid, I never forgot any of those children's songs, Mary Had a Little Lamb or Frere Jacques, any of those, so I never forgot them because their first language, simple um, to remember, melodic content. The brain, in neuroplasticity, the brain has a tendency to operate off pattern. It likes patterns. And so, when you're a child... As you are introduced to this melodic structure, your young little pliant brain just grabs a hold of that and remembers it. Thus, when King David uh, was asked by, you know, isn't it amazing that a, that a young man at this point had grown up from being a shepherd boy, becomes the king of Israel, and God tells David how he would like to be worshipped. Is that not amazing? Like up until that time, all you had was what we would call either um, protocol or processional worship, which was instituted by Moses, Right. And then all of a sudden, the course of worship changed, and David comes up with this Davidic worship, but he got it because God basically told David how he wanted to be worshipped. So I guess when you're God, you can determine how you would like to be worshipped, and David was the one that instituted that worship, and it started with this intervallic design of melodic content that would be passed along from, you know, Asaph to Duthan, uh, and then finally, eventually, to his own son, Solomon, which in turn... You know, it's the only style of worship that God ever said would last forever, like David's lineage. It would, and, it, and we're still seeing that today. So I said all that to say that here I am staring at this notation that this man gave me, and um, I didn't know what to do with it at first. So when I flew home to the United States, I looked at it, I played the tablature, 
I looked at the interbolic notation. I didn't have a clue what to do with it, so I put it. I did what any guy would do. I put it in the filing cabinet, and I went back to work, and I forgot about it, kind of, for two years. And after that two-year period, guys, one day it was just one of those days where I woke up in the morning, and I couldn't stop thinking about those papers, and it was like, oh, my gosh, i got to look at those again. And I took both sets of the music out, and the first thing I thought that day was the number 222. And the reason is I kept seeing um, these three numbers over and over again on television, radio, my cell phone, my clock, and my car. My, You know, I'd wake up at 222 in the morning. I've and I'm been like, there. God. Yep. I've yeah, been like there. God's trying to speak to you through numbers. Yep. And, and if those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, eventually you're going to realize that God's tapping you on the shoulder going, hey, buddy, i got to talk to you. And um, so... I'm sitting there in my study. I've got both sets of music in front of me, guys, and the thought comes through my mind. I wonder what's on page 222 in the Bible. Now, for your listeners, remember, it depends on what translation, the size of your Bible. Is it NIV thin line, regular print? It's going to be different no matter what, but I had an NIV thin line. And so I, in my mind, I'm thinking, if I open to page 222 and it talks about David, I'm going to flip out. So I turned to page 222 in my Bible, and I look, and it's a genealogy. And it traces all the way down to the bloodline of Christ, and there's David's name at the bottom of the page. <laughs> and I went, and then it was like that Rubik's Cube moment that hopefully we get in our lives, like oh, when yeah. you find, finish the puzzle and you go, oh, all the colors <laughs> light up on every side. I did it. It's like that with this. You know, it was that all of a sudden I went, wait a minute. And I started weeping. I said, it can't be that easy. It can't be double it. 444, that's that's the A, it's not 440, it's only four cents higher, and that's going to make all the difference. And we've, we're now in 168 nations and have close to 100,000 healing testimonies, and I settled in on A equals 444 hertz, and it's made all of the difference. See, to, to me, that is obviously divinely inspired, mm-hmm. but the fact, it, 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 folks, I mean, you can't argue with that, and especially it being biblically based. I'm just amazed. Um, the, the, the Bible, uh, I don't read my Bible enough, I admit it, but uh, I'm amazed at the reference, uh, in this case, uh, the, the, the Psalms. Um, well, I'm just amazed at how everything fits together here. Uh, our guest, by the way, is Michael Terrell, wholetonesfree.com. Folks, if you haven't, and you heard okay. me talking about this before, if you haven't tried this, you gotta try it. Look, folks, um, trust me when I tell you that, uh, number one, the sleep, the relaxation, the anti-stress, the, uh, the healing, it works. By the way, I, I want to toss this out to you because I had a conversation in anticipation of your, uh, coming tonight. I've, I've had a series of doctor's appointments, and one recent doctor's appointment was with a surgeon, and the procedure was where I was awake. It was actually with my back and big needle and all kinds of stuff, okay? Mm-hmm. The surgeon talked to my doctor, and my, I'm good, I'm good friends with my doctor. And I, I've talked to him about different things, my book and all this other stuff, and, and whole tones. He, the, the surgeon, was playing whole tones, wow. uh, plays whole tones in the operating room. Now, yeah. uh, of three procedures I've had that where I was awake, you know, needle in the spine, one was, uh, I think a DVD of the Beach Boys, 
there was uh, the other one there was classical music and and but but this guy was playing whole tones and he, and uh after i my groggy grogginess wore off uh i i asked him i said you know is that from and then I said my doctor's name, and he said, oh, yeah, that's, and, and we played all the time. And, and the nurse that took care of me afterwards said, you know what, we, we see uh, differences. She didn't expand on that, and there was no conversation. But, folks, this is what it's all about. So I, I thought you'd like to hear that. I, 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 well, I, I do. I'd like to, to comment if I can. Yeah. It's years since I spoke with you guys last time. You know, we don't always have the ability to legislate um how our life goes or where what we create goes or, but I can tell you guys this year I have been absolutely assimilated into the integrative medicine and doctors of chiropractic, uh, medicine type of, I've been a keynote speaker at doctors conventions in the academy of, of integrative medicine. And it was like, who would have thought this? I mean, I'm not a doctor. I mean, you guys know what I am. I'm a creator and inventor. I'm a musician and, you know, I won a Grammy Award. Big deal. Another trophy. But um, Grammy Award. I, I didn't introduce you properly. Grammy Award winner, by the way. It's no big deal. No, no, oh, yeah, no it's, uh, it's just a dust collector, and it's a, you know, it's a paperweight. But um, no, seriously, um, I cannot believe, guys. Just the other day, I went to visit a doctor, um, and when I, I went in to talk to her, she said, you know, I use whole tones whenever I'm doing. Um, she was a bioidentical hormone specialist, and I was talking to her about how she treats patients. And she said, well, the first thing I do is I turn this on, and she had one of the whole tones-to-go portable units in her room, and she said, I, I can't tell you what it's done as far as apprehension, fear, and even people saying that they, they don't experience the same pain when I'm, you know, they have to embed these little pellets, you know, same thing in the back or, or in the hindquarters, and I'm sure it's painful. But what I was fascinated by is, like, my dentist, you know, up up in Minneapolis and all these people are starting to use it not only in their in their practice in their practice room but in the waiting room and veterinarians when they have you know a bunch of dogs that are going at it or whatever I've noticed the ones that are really having a good time with this are the ones that keep it playing in the waiting room when all the dogs and cats are in there and it's like everything just comes to a stillness dogs and cats getting together in a perfect world, it's a miracle. So that was the one takeaway I've noticed that I didn't think about the application in the medical world about even post-op healing and, and calming people down, especially at the dentist. I mean, nobody likes to go to the dentist, you know, and if the dentist has Holtones playing while he's poking around in your mouth, it's it's a big help. You know, I, I've got an appointment in two weeks. I'm going to have to take uh, Holtones to my dentist introduce Whole tones to my dentist, uh, uh, Michael, because yeah, have to glue the iPod to your head. Uh, I'm gonna tell you. I'm gonna tell you what I, I gotta tell you, you know brother. The time to go to the dentist is right. Uh, what's that? The best time to go to the dentist. You know when that is, right? Um, I, I can't even think of a good time. But when? Tooth hurty. <laughs> uh, Gosh. Okay. I'll let you slide on that one. I, I, yeah. Well, real quick here, just a, an email we got from a, a longtime listener uh, who says, I love it when Michael Terrell's on. I hope you make a video and put it on YouTube, segmenting it. And we do that with all the videos, so we'll be sure to do Absolutely. that with Michael. She says, I got one of these sets about a year ago, and I love it. I sure wish I could get all of them. Thank you very much for introducing me to his music. Well, thank you, Valerie. Yeah. And it, 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 we 
since last, when it was Tuesday or Wednesday, we've gotten so many emails uh, from our listeners saying, uh, bring Michael back, have him explain, have him, you know, go over it again. So, uh, man, I'll tell you what, we're just so thankful you're back. I'm just going to turn it back to you because there's so much to go over here. And, folks, again, we're inundated every single day. We're in a battle. We are in a battle right now. You know, so go ahead, Joe. And I want to ask you this from an email I remember uh, from last week. Michael, you, we talk about the the ability of this to re, to help you relax, to help you sleep. What about while you're sleeping? Have you heard anybody talk about a change in their dreams? Uh, people maybe have night terrors or nightmares who have listened to whole tones and have seen a change in their uh, the way that they dream. That's a wonderful question, Joe. That's been the one thing I think that has been um, the takeaway for me, and that is something that I'm really moving into. I'll be able to talk more about it later. Is really the late night sleep campaign. I'm eventually even going to release a, um, an infomercial because, you know, over 30 million people suffer with sleeping disorders, and in that, um, remember that dream state. You're kind of open, aren't you, when you think about it? You know, you're kind of at the. You're subject to like people have uh, horrible dreams and nightmares. I never do. I never have. And the reason probably is because I'm constantly filling myself at night as well with these frequencies that counteract a lot of the negative stuff. But to answer your question, Joseph, um, in our last probably 50 or 60 sleep-related testimonials, every one of them said the same thing. I, cause we do have, uh, you know, a, another project now that's, um, a whole tones to sleep project in life, love and lullabies, which is the music. And they said, I didn't even get to the end of the first song, and the next thing I remembered was I woke up and the sun was coming up in the morning. And so we haven't had one incident of people that say that they're dealing with night terrors or um, nightmares or, you know, sometimes people wake up in the middle of the night with anxiety. Then, of course, there's people that deal with sleep apnea that all of it, you know, is about not feeling like you can get enough breath. And so since we released um, these lullabies, it's been absolutely outstanding to see the response. We haven't had one person that said that they're still having nightmares or having night terrors or any problems whatsoever at night, which is awesome. Let me toss this out at you because I've gotten a couple of emails from people who have actually uh, purchased Whole Tones and they're surprised, pleasantly surprised. It, It works so well. And, and one of them, and I'm just going to share this with you. Uh, this works so well. I'm, I'm um, now I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, I'm, I'm a little bit apprehensive, basically. And let me let me uh, translate what what they're asking. Okay. Are you putting a spell on us? <laughs> uh, that, that's my translation. It's it's a pretty lengthy email. This is from Kay in in. Uh, Rhode Island. But anyway, uh, so, so really, uh, nothing new age. This is all biblically based and That's it's just, opposite. yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, here's a perfect yeah. example. I mean, especially for people that tune in and they, they know where you're coming from and where I'm coming from. Um, remember King Saul? There's one episode and it, there was many episodes, but one that I can remember documented episode where King Saul was at the end of his wits and he finally called out and said, Hey, can anybody find this kid, David, that plays the 10-string canor? And remember, he wasn't the only one. There was hundreds of people that played this instrument, okay? But he asked for David by name for one reason. When David played the kinor, something different took place. The environment changed, and 
you know, there's a lot of different theologians that think that it could have just been that, you know, it was this or that, and other people believe he was actually vexed by demonic spirits. I wasn't there. I can't say. Regardless of what it was that was tormenting him, something was tormenting him. And as soon as David came in with his ten-string canor and began to play, whatever it was that was tormenting King David stopped in its tracks. But remember, he's not the only one. So what can we surmise by this simple story? David's heart. See, no matter what it is, what you guys do, when you're broadcasting to tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people um, on your broadcast, what makes your broadcast different is is your hearts, guys. It's different. David's heart was different. There might have been 500 guys that played the same instrument, but he, King Saul didn't call them. He called David because he knew if he came that whatever was bugging him was going to stop. And so I think that's the big thing. It's not a, mat a, a matter of a spell or anything like that. It's actually very, very simple. These frequencies are the underlayment. And what I mean by that is these frequencies are the bed or the drone that I build my musical content on the top of it. So the way I look at it, the simple way, is the music is the spoonful of sugar and the frequency is the medicine and the music helps the medicine go down. And that's how it really works. There's no, There's nothing magic about it. It's actually... Um, it's instead of new age, it's ancient age, and I will there tell you is. where it started yeah. from. Genesis one, and God said, "There it is. Let there be light, yeah. and there was light. Amen. And it was good. And so, what happened there? Let's talk about it for just a second, and then I'll let you sure. take me where you want me to go. But let's just talk about that for our listeners. So, when God speaks, something happens that's amazing. He fills the sonic spectrum of sound as soon as He makes one audible murmuring. So he can't talk without filling the audio realm. He, he doesn't have an inside voice. <laughs> when he talks, it fills everything, okay? And so if it fills everything, and we're talking frequency related, what would be the next frequency when we've exhausted the audio realm? Light, light, colors. And then what happens after you exhaust colors? Pure white light. And he comes in approach, unapproachable white light. So we know that. What else we don't know is there's only one thing on planet Earth that fills the sonic spectrum of sound naturally. Do you know what it is? Niagara Falls. You take a parabolic... No. Like really? Niagara Falls. It gets better. And, and, and you sound sample that, you'll see that it fills the sonic spectrum. There's so many frequencies in the murmuring of that water. It's like, what? And his voice is like the sound of many waters, right? So when people start to unpack this, they go, oh, wait a minute. So God said something, but not only did he fill that void of words and intention, and but he went past that. And so his words could only do one thing, create light, because that was the next harmonic frequency past the audio realm being satisfied. Then he satisfies all the hues of color. And then what? All that's left is white light. His domain, purity. It's awesome. I, I've never heard that explained so exquisitely. It, it, wow. All right. It, it, now, we've noticed several frequencies on wholetonesfree.com, folks, wholetonesfree.com. And understand this. Your um, support of Whole Tones Free, your purchase, it helps support this program. Yes, hey, you know, and, and thank you, Michael Terrell. 
thank you. Number one, thank you for creating this, and thank you for helping support this program. But now, I love you guys. Well, I believe you. And, and I got to, I got to say this: we believe wholeheartedly in this, in your product, in your music product, which is, it's beyond description. And if, hey, if it gets by lady, it's okay by me. Four paws up at night because of the music, sound sleeper, and uh, during the day, of course, it's just, it, it makes a huge difference. But can we talk about the different frequencies? Because you mentioned 444. Um, you've got other frequencies as well for yes. specific things. I want to talk about one we've never talked about, if oh, that's okay. Let's, yeah, let's do it. Let's and I rock. think for your listeners, this is going to be like bullseye. So there's a frequency called 639, and it's called the bridge for a reason. 639 has a behavioral component, and that behavioral component has the ability to be able to stop an argument in its tracks. What is that worth? Well, have you ever had a horrible fight with your spouse? Do you wish that you could have just stopped it before it went tornado? Have you ever just sat there and watched your kids going at it and fighting over a toy? Or or have you ever looked at a city like Chicago and said, why can't we do something about this murder? Why can't we do something about this sardonic hatred for someone that some other person doesn't even know and they would blindly kill them? Why can't we? Well, we can. And, I, and I'm pushing on this really, really hard right now, guys, and I haven't talked to you about it because it's so exciting. I realized something after watching hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people reporting that when I play 639, with even with children with autism, they stop stemming. They stop beating their heads against the wall. If I use it in the classroom, kids that are disruptive stop disrupting. If I use it in my home, and, you know, I've actually got some love notes from couples that were headed towards the divorce court and got a hold of whole tones and started playing 639 in the house all the time, and they stopped fighting. I think that's beautiful, and I think it's God, and I think it's the way things are supposed to be. And what makes matters more is in our country right now, um, all of this insanity, and it really is, guys, it's insanity. It's what I said, it's nonsense. It does not contain sense. You'll, you'll break something trying to make it work in your head and make sense out of it. You'll never make sense out of it because it's, it's a, it's a uber dark, malignant thinking process, okay? And, there's only a small percentage of people that really believe that way, but because their lobby is so great and their voice is so loud that it makes people like us think that, that there's a lot of them, there's not. There's much more of us. So I said all that to say this. In every major city in America, you may or may not know that we have an emergency broadcasting system and we have speakers in the downtown area that were to bark out commands in the case of an invasion or some other nefarious type of, of infiltration. But they're basically pigeon homes. They haven't been used in years, but there's loudspeakers downtown. So I had this crazy idea. What would cost the taxpayer nothing? And what would cost the government nothing, but could amount to everything? What about if we played 639 at a low volume in every major city as a test to see if it could move a marker in violent crime or crimes committed with firearms or murder, what, whatever it is in a, in a major city. And I'm thinking, this is, this is genius. If we're going to think, we have to think outside the box. And how can we really, oh, yeah, I know. Here's how we stop. Let's take the guns away. And all the crooks are going to agree with that. And all the gangbangers are going to turn them in. I mean, that's stupid. So how are we going to stop it? Really? They're never going to get the guns. Drop it. How are we going to stop it? We're going to have to put something in the airwaves that can bring simpatico and can bring what? 
some sort of peace in the midst of chaos because it's chaos. Caprini Green in Chicago is chaos. Some of the downtown streets of Chicago are chaos. So taking guns away is going to change the chaos? That's chaos. What will change the chaos is introducing a frequency to mask the frequencies of chaos and murder and corruption and hatred and vitriol. And it would cost nothing to do this. So in God's genius, this coming week, I'm going to once again to see Dr. Oz this weekend in New York for the big Dr. Oz Foundation that I support with all of the kids that he has. He does so much for great, great things for children. So sure. I'm going up there. But one of the people that's going with me is actually going to meet with Dr. Ben Carson in the Bahamas this week and hand deliver whole tones to him. If there was a man that would know what to do with this in the inner city, I believe it would be him. So you can pray about that, all of you, because something so simple as playing music downtown could change the inner city. But we got to try it. We got to give it a shot. People don't like stuff that's free because they can't benefit off of it. They don't like stuff that really works because some group of people or some lobbyist group can't cash in on it. But I would give my work to the government if it could actually move a marker in a downtown place and stop this violence and hatred. I believe it can work. I I, I believe so. Just from my personal experience and from the thousands of testimonials that you have that we've received, I, I believe this would work as well. That This is fantastic. Uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic idea. Uh, folks, uh, let's pray that this happens. I mean, let's get together and pray that, that, that this can be done. Uh, wow. Dr. Ben Carson we would certainly know what to do with this. By the way, Michael Terrell is our guest. Wholetonesfree.com. That's wholetonesfree.com. I would urge everyone because of the, the hour that we, you know, the lateness of the hour, the, everything combined, the onslaught of the headlines, the stress, but, uh, perhaps you've got some physical ailments, uh, you need, you're looking for some relief. Try this out. Folks, try this out. Go to wholetoneslive.com. There's free samples there. Wholetonesfree.com. Yeah. Or what did I say? You Whole- said wholetoneslive. Uh, oh, wholetones wholetonesfree.com. Free.com. All right. And it not only benefits you, also, Michael, you have seen positive benefits to pets, dogs, cats. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. <laughs> Can you get into that a little bit? What uh, aside from my la- Aside from lady who loves it, by the way. Uh, and, by the way, King, who who has since passed, our iconic dog, uh, when you first came on, that made a huge difference with King, uh, folks. And uh, that's all I'm going to say because I'll get emotional here. But, yeah, talk about the pets, if you don't mind. Oh, not at all, Doug. Um, probably that's probably one of the softest places of my heart are these little furry creatures that worm their way into your heart. And um, I just finished a series called The Truth About Pet Cancer that was phenomenal by Ty Bollinger and and some of his wonderful work. And this morning I just got off the horn doing an interview very much like this with a uh, holistic veterinarian, and we talked about this very subject, about the shift in our nation, guys, um, with not only people's love for their animals, which I think is beautiful, but actually a poll was taken, and 67% of the people in the poll said that 
if it was given to starvation and they only had enough food to feed either them or their dogs, that their dogs would get the last meal. And I totally understand that. So um, let me say that there's also, and we know the reasons, and you guys know the reasons better than anybody. I mean, with all of the stuff that's going on, the stuff we know about and the nefarious stuff we don't know about, what's happening with HARP, glycophosphates, I mean, do I need to go on? I mean, the condition of the earth, and your dog's outside eating that grass, right, that they spray with fertilizer and then with, with Roundup or what. you got to think, the do- where what has happened to dogs is like before humans had a much higher level of, of cancer as far as ratio. Now it's dogs more than anything in the world. Dogs are dying from cancer. My last dog, Sela, passed away from cancer. She lived 13 years, but... Doctors, veterinarians that really understand dogs say you should get 20 years out of your dog, and I believe that. And so with all of that being said, um, my heart has always been for dogs. So our first rescue dog I mentioned, she was petrified of thunder, of lightning, of Fourth of July fireworks, and had separation anxiety. So when my wife and I would leave the house, you know, when we got home, she'd go crackers because it was almost like she felt abandoned, you know. And I thought, wow. And I didn't have whole tones done. So our second one... Um, Ziva that we have now, our little light, um, she had the same issue. She came from the same island of Abaco, Bahamas, had the same issue, though. And so one day, guys, this is what I mean about subtraction. One day I forgot to turn off the stereo when me and Lillian went out on a date, and I left hall tones on and just came apart. It was one of our typical Florida summer storms, and the curtains were open, so the flashes of lightning were there and whatever. We got home, and the dogs curled up in her doggy bed, not even shaking, and I thought, what? happened you know i had to go check her pulse and so um i I didn't i didn't get it it wasn't like i was like oh i know what happened like the third time we realized when we leave the music playing nothing in the world moves or moves this dog so fast forward we start releasing this for dogs with people that have you know dogs with separation anxiety or have you know sudden fear of noise or flashes or whatever and the feedback was off the chart. So then I started passing them out at places like Petco where they do the, you know, where they groom oh, yeah. your dog and clip yeah. them. Then I was finding out that dogs that, that always nipped or bit the technicians and they could never calm the dog down, suddenly the dog lays down and lets them do whatever they want to do as long as the music's playing. So this kid takes my music to the SPCA. This is my favorite story. And the kid opens the door, you know, and the dogs go, you know, it's a cacophony of barking, panting, whatever. And then he closes the door and turns on my music on his little handheld player, opens the door, dead silence. Wow. And one of the reg- yeah, one of the regional directors of the SPCA happened to be in the office that day. She goes, what are you doing? And he said, well, my friend made this music in this little can, and, and when I turn it on, my dog goes to sleep. So I thought maybe if I opened the door, the dogs would relax. And she goes, can you go out and not turn it on and do what you did before? So he opens the door, everybody goes nuts, closes the door, goes out, turns the music on, opens the door, puts the can in, dead silence. So it was this kind of stuff, and I realized, you know, guys, there's something special about our little creatures. And, you know, unlike us humans, they don't understand placebo mechanics. They don't understand double-blind tests. They don't understand merchandising or marketing. Dogs just say, hmm, smells good, I'll eat it. Mm, feels good. I'll sleep here. They don't have the mentality that we do to try to think through issues like that. Dogs are drawn to things they're comfortable with. Dogs are so sensitive to frequency. It's unbelievable. But my dog, and now thousands of dogs have, of 
found themselves completely free from all of these crazy issues with uh, lightning, thunder, fireworks, and separation anxiety simply by having music playing at home. It's awesome. And thank you for that. Lady thanks you. And I know King um, would thank you as well. Uh, I noticed a, a marked difference in his last time. days. Uh, you know, it, it, Michael, we only have about eight minutes left. And, and I feel like I've kind of, wow. uh, it, this has gone so <laughs> fast. <laughs> you know, my friend, the eight minutes is yours. Go anywhere that we haven't touched. But folks, wholetonesfree.com, that's where to get the sample. But, but, but go ahead, Michael. The eight minutes is yours. Okay. Um, there's one thing, another thing we've, I've tried to think about things that we've never said. There's so much to say. I think we could talk for the rest of our lives until Jesus comes for us. But one thing I found that was so fascinating is talking about Pythagoras. And then those of your listeners that, that know, you know, is the kind of the godfather of, of math, mathematics and, was, you know, notable in every one of us that ever took a geometry class in high school. But the one thing that nobody talked about Pythagoras about is that Pythagoras's main wheelhouse, the thing he loved the most was music. He was a master musician. Everybody goes, whoo, mind blown. He was such an amazing musician that all of his compositions, um, this is what blew my mind last year. I didn't get to talk to you guys about it. He did everything I did with whole tones, and I never even knew it. Everything he did, he based off Tesla's idea of the 3, 6, and 9 before there was a Tesla. He thought that every frequency should be interrelated and it should somehow um, be attached to certain musical frequencies and that if you could connect them in a familiar way, which I have um, through the scan of Pythagoras, all of my, my frequencies either add up to a 3, a 6, or a 9, so thus they're all, you know, they're all interspersed with one another, so they're all harmonic. Um, which works on a cellular level in your body, hello. And um, But what Pythagoras did that was by, he created his own instrument. And this is where it gets good. It was called um, the monochord. And what it looked like, guys, it was six feet long, and one side of it was padded like a couch. And the other side had drone strings stretched across it that were tuned to specific frequencies. And so at the end of the day, all of um, Pythagoras' disciples, if they had issues sleeping, Back then, depression, phobias, physical sickness, emotional distress, he would have them one at a time lay on top of the monochord, and underneath he would play the strings beneath them, and it would resonate their whole body. The reports of healing uh, during the, the days of Pythagoras using this instrument are shocking. Shocking. Uh, how their sleep was transformed. No more night tremors. No more emotional distress. How about no more stress? And don't forget who his number one disciple was, Plato. That's right. So what I'm saying to you in closing is the problem we have in today's society is that we've forgotten, and in, in some ways it's been nefariously kept from a generation of young people. We forgot our history. We don't know history anymore. We don't even know where we came from anymore. We forgot to talk about the Mayflower or the, any of the stories, but let's go back thousands of years. Pythagoras, this guy was doing what I was doing a gazillion years ago. And now everybody's like, oh, Michael's got this new thing. No, it's not a new thing. It's a tried and true thing back before you could make all the claims you wanted before the FDA got on your tail for saying anything. Pythagoras used music to heal the sick. He used music to help people with depression. He used music to help align people with God. Pythagoras was the only Greek of his time to give all of the glory for all of his creations to God. The only one. Study it. 
He said that God was the magnificent creator who was in charge of all music and the music of the spheres and had made all things interrelate together for the healing of mankind. That is awesome, and that's what I want to leave you with today. This isn't anything new. It's not new age, pals. It's old age. It's just we have, as a generation, we have forgotten the great thinkers and the great scientists and the great geniuses um, in our country. We've forgotten about them. And can I, do I got one more minute? You yeah. got it, brother. Oh, thanks, guys. There's a movie, and every time I mention it, everybody like looks at me like a doe in the headlight because they never heard of it. But it's oh, you guys would love it. But it was one of those movies that it's a Disney film, but it didn't get a lot of press. Um, George Clooney was in it. It was called Tomorrowland, and I so resonated with the the character in that movie because she was the daughter of a NASA scientist, and the NASA scientist would be working on all of these impossible things in his laboratory, and he would. He'd be scratching his head trying to figure it out. She'd be on her cell phone, walk and move two wires, and the whole thing would start to work. And at the end, all of these scientists and all these learned men are staring at this woman. They go, how do you know what you know? And she goes, I don't know how I know what I know. I just know I know it. I just know how. She said, I just know how things work. And there's people in this world, and God just gave us that. The sons of Issachar, they, God just gave them supernatural wisdom and knowledge to know the seasons and the times. It, there's people like us all over right now, and we're finding each other for a reason. We have a world to change. Love is the most powerful thing in the world. There's nothing more powerful. There's nothing in, in Washington that can that can beat my love for, for mankind. I'm sorry. It's more powerful. And this was the quote from the movie I wanted to leave you guys with. Have you ever wondered what would happen if all the geniuses and the artists and the scientists, the smartest, most creative people in the world, decided to actually change it? Where could they even go to do such a thing? They'd need a place free from politics and bureaucracy and distraction, greed, a secret place where they could build whatever they were crazy enough to imagine. All that would need to be done is to find the ones who have not given up yet. And Doug and Joe, you haven't forget, you haven't given up yet, and I haven't given up yet, not by a long shot. And there's hundreds of thousands of us that have not given up yet. There's something wonderful coming, and we're going to be there when it gets here. Talk about Amen. a mic drop moment, uh, Michael Terrell. And it's not in our spirit, wow. in our nature as Christians to give up. So we're going to continue to push forward, I, and we're going to continue to fight. Michael Terrell, thank you so much for joining free us. Whole I didn't get mean to interrupt. Sample there. Yeah, wholetonesfree.com. Michael, thank uh, you so much. Wholetonesfree.com. I'm sorry. I overtalked you again. I'm gonna to have to go back to. I'm gonna to have to put some stress reducing whole tones on tonight, Michael. <laughs> um, hey, you know what? We, we should come back because there's so much that we didn't talk about. I mean, the, the, come back again, please. Any, Absolutely. Anytime. Just let me know. All right. Thank you so much for for your gift of music to all of us. May God bless you. Keep you safe in your bless travels. You guys, all right, folks. Network break. Michael Terrell, wholetonesfree.com. Overtalk Joe, I apologize. It was, no you know, I do it all the time. I'm going to get emails no on it now. No problem. But I, I'm so excited about, about wholetonesfree.com. Yeah, uh, get your, yeah. Test your samples there. There oh, you can go man. and listen to all the different samples from the, the sleep to the anxiety and on and on and on. So, and, uh, you won't be sorry. At least check it out. That's the least you can do. All right. We'll be right back after this break. Don't go anywhere.
third and final hour on this Wednesday, April 18th edition of the Hagman Report. Each Wednesday in hour number three, we are joined by Pastor David Langford, the voice of evangelism, and the Hagman Report's own personal pastor. Pastor Langford, it's great to have you, you back. Wait, before we bring him on, I just want to say this. We, we talk so much about the headlines. Go back and listen to the second hour with Michael Terrell. You know, this is one of those days. I don't know about you guys out there listening and, and watching. Uh, Jackie came into work and not happy. Then John came into work, not happy. And then Eric came into work because, f- folks, you know, when 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 the missus ain't happy, you ain't happy. <laughs> so I'm I'm juggling and. Uh, so, so anyway, to make a long story short, we're not just talking about problems, because by, well, by the end of the by the end of this uh, this show, everyone's going to be happy, and and Jackie's already happy, and John's happy as well. But but I guess what I'm saying is this: we talk so much about problems, and man, we get pummeled every day with information. You don't know who to trust. You don't know where to turn, but there's always one person, Joe, that we can trust. There's always one person that can make that difference in our spirituality. Uh, Aside from God, Jesus Christ, of course, and reading the Bible. Pastor David Langford. Yeah, and he has such timely insight and messages each week that he comes on, and so much has happened since the last time you were on, Pastor. We launched missiles in Syria. We are on the verge of World War III. We see this uh, craziness with the president, the White House, and the whole political battle ongoing in our country. And on top of that, we continue to see the perversion and immorality promoted throughout our society. But with all that said, it's great to have you back, Pastor. I hope you're doing well. Doing very well. And it's always a great joy to be back with you as well. Uh, You know, we are witnessing... Uh, an enormous amount of chaos. That's one of the premier words uh, today. But, you know, God, I believe, according to the Scriptures, puts people in office. Since Donald Trump has been in office, it's been a perpetual motion of chaos. I mean, there's not a day. Uh, we, we use the, the word drama, uh, uh, the stuff we witness in our personal lives uh, is very minuscule drama. What we witness on the world stage is the personification of chaos. And, you know, somebody has to be the president, you know, when the Antichrist is revealed, uh, when the Battle of Armageddon takes place, there's going to be someone presiding over our nation. And, you know, people say, well, it's his fault. You can't blame the one man. Uh, Psalms 33, 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And uh, because we have not allowed God to be the Lord of our nation, uh, there's a penalty to pay. In Psalm 75, verse 6, the psalmist declared, For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and sitteth up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red. It is full of mixture, and he poureth out of the same. But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. So 
we're all going to have an element of chaos, uh, but the wicked, the wicked are going to suffer far beyond the righteous. And what I wanted to talk about tonight was the power of intercessory prayer. Every one of us, and I'll be the first to admit, could spend more time in prayer, or say it this way, I don't spend enough time in prayer. Do I pray? Absolutely. But, you know, the world is, is in a very, at a very fast pace. Everybody is just seemingly encumbered, whether it's your job, your family, uh, you're having to help take care of your parents, your business. It, it, everyone is just really rolling today, and there's, there's very little free time. And when you get that free time, you just kind of want to rest. Um, but this is why the Bible said the spirit of the Antichrist in the book of Daniel, he would seek to wear out the, the patience of the saints. He would seek to wear us down. You know, people say, boy, these shoes really wear well. Well, just keep wearing them, and they'll eventually wear out. And they won't wear as good as they are right now. So nothing wears better. It ultimately wears out. It wears down until it breaks down completely. So there's that parenthetical time when it wears good, but after a while, it'll get worn out. But I want to look at Genesis 18 tonight, because God was about to adjudicate Sodom and Gomorrah, and he had already made covenant with Abraham. And so he comes and visits Abraham for two distinct reasons. The first reason was to tell him, uh, Abraham, you're going to have a son. And of course, Abraham is 100, and Sarah is 90, and it's impossible for them at this age of their life to have a child. And then the other reason he came down to talk to Abraham was to tell him what he was going to do regarding Sodom and Gomorrah, because his nephew Lot uh, chose and pitched his tent towards Sodom and Gomorrah when they had to separate because of their herdsmen were fighting and bickering. You can go back and read all this in the book of Genesis. Uh, so Lot chose Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham, being the godly man that he was, his portion was the Lord. He knew whether it was north, east, south, or west. It didn't matter. That's the kind of faith Abraham had in Jehovah. If, he, if, he, if, he, if it looked like he got the worst part of the deal, it didn't matter to Abraham, because God had already made covenant with him. So God was going to bless him no matter what. But when we're looking at Genesis 18, verse 1, And the Lord appeared unto him in the plains of Mamre, and he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes, and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, he ran to meet them from the tent door, and bowed himself toward the ground, and said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee, from thy servant. Now, this was a pre-incarnation of Christ. We know that uh, according to John chapter 8, verse 56 through 58. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. He said, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad in it. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old. And hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, 
I am. Then they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So this is when Jesus encountered Abraham. Uh, For the last several months, I've been doing some serious studying, looking for a manifestation of the Father. Every manifestation that I'm beginning to see in the Old and New Testament both is always Jesus, the Lord's Christ. Just something to pique your interest and maybe coerce you to begin to look for and to study. Uh, The reason I believe this was the pre-incarnate Christ is because when we go to the book of Joshua, uh, God has stopped the manna from falling from heaven, and he tells the, the Israelites, you're going now to eat the fruit of the land of Canaan, because they had already gone over and was beginning to possess the land. And then it says in verse 13, or Joshua 5 and 13, and it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. Joshua fell down on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. So here again, we know this was not just a normal angel, because an angel would have refused worship. Furthermore, an angel would have never told him to take off his shoes, because he said, where you are now is holy ground. The identical same thing that uh, God spoke out of the burning bush that was just a voice, but it spoke out of the bush and said, take off your shoes for your own holy ground. This, who I believe also, as I said, was pre-incarnate Christ. He says, I am captain of the host of the Lord. Am now am, am I now come? He uses the phrase captain. That's who Paul, the apostle, alluded to, Jesus Christ, in Hebrews 2 verses 9 and 10. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. For it became him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, and bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So Jesus was the captain, still is the captain of our salvation. He brought and purchased our salvation through his vicarious work on the cross. Now looking back at Genesis 18, they are now engaged in a very tremendous conversation, and God begins to tell Abraham, you're going to have a son. And he said, I'm going to return unto thee the time of life. And Sarah, thy wife, she'll have a son. Of course, we all know the story how she laughed. And she said, you know, after having waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to her, and to Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, I, I shall of a surety bear a child which am old? 
And then God asked the question, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I will return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. So, you know, God had to physically rebuild Sarah's body. Uh, as a 90-year-old woman, God had to restore her mammary glands. He had to restore muscle tissue. Uh, she didn't have an epidural. Uh, she had to fully push out a baby. So God had to do a lot of remaking of her physical body. And the unique thing about Abraham was this was not just a one-time deal. After Sarah died, Abraham married another woman called Keturah. And Abraham and her fathered five more children. So when he told him he was returning unto him the time of life, he wasn't exaggerating. God, does, God is not a man that he should lie, uh, the Bible says in Numbers twenty-three nineteen. But picking back up here in verse 16, and the men rose up from thence. They had been eating supper. Uh, why there's a need for God to eat, I don't know. Jesus Christ ate fish and honey after his resurrection. Uh, there's going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb, a wedding feast. Uh, there must be something uh, delightful. I, I don't know because that's, that's something that I just can't understand. And I don't understand in that dimension uh, of a glorified body. He certainly doesn't need sustenance. But I've often wondered after Christ would eat the fish and the honey and then pass through the walls, where did the honey and the fish go? I have no idea. So if you're looking for that answer, I don't have it for you. But they rose up. I believe it was Jesus Christ and the two angels. And they looked towards Sodom, and Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? David said in Psalms 25, 14, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. I've often said God has secret things. And you can only get to know those secret things, or, or after you get to know them, even understand them, is by being intimate, spending time in his presence. Psalms eighty four eleven. the Lord God is a sun and shield. He will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Abraham was an upright man. And so God did not withhold what he was going to do. He says there in verse 17, Shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? Now that shows you how great the relationship was with Abraham. He was in covenant with God. As I've said before, uh, you go back to Genesis 15, God put Abraham to sleep and made covenant with him. And having put him to sleep, he was saying to Abraham, Abraham, you have nothing whatsoever to do with this covenant. This is my mercy. This is my grace. And by the way, that was 430 years before the law. So the law could not nullify the promise that God had made Abraham. And so this promise is still in, in fruition, coming to fruition even today. The, the covenant is still binding. Why? Because it was all on God's part. Having put Abraham to sleep was the, was, the, was the factor saying, Abraham, you're bringing nothing to the table. This is all on my part. When Gabriel said to Mary, Mary, thou art highly favored. 
thou art blessed among women. The Greek word there for blessed is eulogia. We use it in the English language to eulogize the decedent. But what the word eulogia means there in the Greek is that God is bringing you into a divine relationship with him wherein you have no part in it at all either. That's why Gabriel says to Mary, you have no understanding how blessed you are, how favored you are as a human being. God Almighty is enveloping you into his divine plan. Now, there were no doubt thousands of women that God could have chosen, but he chose Mary. And in choosing Mary, Mary was the descendant of the tribe of Judah. Even though Joseph was not his earthly father, Joseph was of the tribe of Judah. Why? Because the kings came out of the tribes of Judah. God was changing the protocol from the Levitical uh, Aaronic covenant, priesthood. Now we're going to work through kingship. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. He will be the Redeemer. That's why the veil was rent in the temple now, every one of us have right to go to the Holy of Holies. We can enter in boldly. Why? Jesus rent the veil. You, you know, that's one of the great things about redemption, salvation, and the new covenant. You could not have had any participation in any temple actions at all if you were not of the tribe of Levi. You could not participate in the offering, the sacrifice. You would certainly never have an opportunity to go behind the veil. Only the high priest. That was very, very selective in that process. But God, through his son Jesus, now has opened the door, opened the way that all men, you don't have to go to a priest and confess your sins. We come boldly. Paul the Apostle says we, we can come boldly. Now you think about that. Now, we think about boldness, you know, being brass or cocky or arrogant or, or whatever the case might be. That, that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking because of the grace of God. We can enter in. We can come in. Uh, Hebrews four sixteen. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We don't need that. Uh, quote-unquote, high priest. Jesus is our high priest once and for all. Uh, verse 15, Hebrews four fifteen. For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. A, a, a true Levitical high priest, he couldn't understand um, what a man was going through, his difficulty, but because Jesus took on the nature of man, he fully understands everything that we go through. So when we're, when we're praying and we're, we're struggling and we're grappling and we're sharing our heart with, with, with Jesus Christ, he doesn't look at us in a condescending manner and say, how dare you? I, I, I cannot believe you did this. You know, he told Peter, he said, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. Peter said, I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to die. That'll never happen. But it did. It was so bad, Peter's cursing and swearing. He doesn't know Christ. But Jesus was forgiving. Why? Because he could feel the infirmity. An infirmity is, is a weakness. He was touched with the feelings of our infirmities, our fragility, our weakness. He understands it. Even though he did not sin, he understands that temptation 
that trial, that that adversity. He understands it. So he, that's how he, that's how as God, he's not able to look at us and say, well, because I'm nothing but deity, I don't understand. I don't know what it means. Because the Bible says in James 1, 13, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. When lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. God, God does not know anything about that. But Jesus, being all man slash all God, he understands both. And, 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 and this was a, a pre-incarnate picture of Christ here, talking to Abraham, because you see, he's about to judge. Every day our, our nation becomes a little more riper for judgment. Just a little more ripe for judgment. Why? Because as much as I believe that God has put him in office, preachers are still failing to preach against sin. They won't say one word about sin. They, there's words they will never, ever, ever use from the pulpit because it could be offensive. And and now you've got churches with homosexual pastors. You've got churches with transgender pastors. I have no idea what that is. But you, you have all sorts of, 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 of sin standing in the sacred pulpits espousing some of the worst garbage. You know, I understand the world. I mean, I was there, you know. I've been in the gutter. I, I understand that. I, I don't have a problem with that. But from the ministerial perspective, living the life, walking the wall, uh, keeping your life in subjection, you know, that's what Paul said in First Corinthians 9 and 27. But I keep under my body, and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway or a reprobate. You know, it's, it's my responsibility after I have ministered and spoken God's word, I, I now have to keep myself in subjection. Because, see, I'm, I'm trying to teach people. And, and being a teacher, if I sin, I err, I receive the greater condemnation. You know, there's those out there that are that are self-anointed and they're self-appointed, but, but they, 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 they forget the responsibility. James 3, 1, he said, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. It only makes common sense, even in law enforcement. When you see Comey doing the things he's doing, he receives the greater condemnation because he was one of, one of the highest law officials in the land. And you look at that and you say, what hypocrisy? That's absolute despicable. Why? Because here's a man that claims to be the personification of truth. What's the name of his book, guys? What did he name his book, Truth? And I forget now. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm drawing a blank here. Thanks, Pastor. Yeah, I, it's, it's something about truth. and I want to say truth and righteousness, but righteousness is not in it. But, but the point is, here he is, you know, misrepresenting the truth by all means. And, and James says, this is the danger, guys, that if you want to be a master, you want to be a teacher, you want to be a preacher, you want, you want, to, you want to try to lead people about and tell them about Christ, you're going to receive the greater condemnation if you don't keep your own life in subjection. You know, And, and I said this some weeks ago, and I'll say it again. Everyone needs accountability. 
accountability is, is so important to keep you in the right place where you can be preserved. Okay, so God is not going to hide this thing from Abraham that he's going to do. There's a reason. He tells us why. In this passage of Scripture, he tells us why. He's not going to hide this thing from Abraham. He says, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him. That's verse 19, Genesis 18, 19. For I know him. Don't ever think God doesn't know who you are and what you are and how you portray yourself, whether you're a charlatan, a pretender, or you're the real deal. See, God says, I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. They shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. Now, how did God know that? Isaac is not born because God already knows the future. God knew Abraham would willingly take Isaac up to Mount Moriah, put him on the altar, and pull the dagger back and just about kill him. Why? Because he understood if God was able to give him this child from the deadness of Sarah's womb, he was also able to raise the child from the dead. He knew that. Now, there'll be those who say, well, well, how, how do you know that? How do you know that? Well, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 18 and 19, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, Isaac, even from the dead, from which also he received him in a figure. What's he talking about there? The, the, he received him in a figure. The figure was the deadness of Sarah's womb. She was dead. So from a tomb, a physical tomb, womb, he brought Isaac forth. And that's what gave Abraham, by faith, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son. That's why Isaac was a type of Christ. He was, the, he was the only begotten. Now, of course, he had Ishmael. That's not the promised son. That was the son of inheritance. Isaac was the only promised seed. Go back and read Galatians 3. Not seeds, S-E-E-D-S, but seed, singular, not plural. And so he, he says, he goes on here, Paul says, from whence also Abraham received him in a figure. And the figure, the similitude, the likeness was the deadness of of Sarah's womb. See, these are, these are the things, you know, when, when I come here on Wednesday night, I, I, I try to bring you something that will enlighten you and, and, and teach you greater depths of the scriptures and not you know, put on a Colgate smile and, uh, and just give you cotton candy and fluff and stuff, but something that will help you, stain you, undergirt you, strengthen you. And that's what the Word of God does. So he says, I know Abraham, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. Bring about what? The blessing. The blessings that he promised him. You'd be the father 
of, 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 of a great nation, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. you just, just go back to uh, uh, Genesis twelve three, and I will bless them that bless thee, curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. God has brought all of that to fruition. Why has America been greater blessed than most nations? Why has God been more tolerant, more long-suffering? There's only one reason, and I know this makes people mad, but it's because we have tried to do our best to do right toward the nation of Israel. I forget the last several years how many United Resolutions, the, the United Nations has brought resolutions against Israel. It, it, it's up pushing 50. I'm going to say in the last five years it's pushing 50. But you've got one against Iran, one against North Korea, one against uh, Russia, and one against China. But, but, but see, that shows you the hatred, the malice that is toward the covenant of Abraham. See, they think they're hating a people. No, that's, that, it's not the people. It's the God that made the covenant. That's why when you, when, you, when, you, when you hate the people, you don't realize you're hating God because Abraham was put to sleep. He, he, didn't, he didn't know anything about it. There are two men God put to sleep. He put Adam to sleep, took a rib, gave him his wife. He put Abraham to sleep, blessed him, gave him a child when it was impossible. And it started from that point, growing a nation. And so this... This hatred, this, it's not toward the people. It's toward God. You see, it's anti-Christ. Because these appearances, as I said, were Jesus Christ, the pre-incarnate Christ. And so every time people get this, this anti-Semitic disposition, it's really toward God. It's not, it's not the people. We're just flesh and blood. But it's, 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 a, it's opposing what God has spoken what God has said. So, Jehovah is going to reveal to Abraham what he's going to do. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Will thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? That's a man of compassion. That's a man who cared about other people. Yes, he knew Lot, his nephew, was down there. But Abraham had compassion. Why? Because God told him, I'm going to bless you. When you're that blessed, compassion should be innate. It just should be there. It should just come out. Uh, you know, my wife and I have been so blessed. God has been so good to us. And, you know, that's why we go out of our way uh, trying to help people, trying to encourage people, trying to do the right thing. You know, I can't always do the right thing, but I I try to do the right thing. I had a, a, some people, you know, came to the church Sunday. We were in Prosperity, South Carolina, and uh, I believe his name was Dan. His wife was Cindy, and uh, he has a stereo uh, company where he installs stereos and he was, he was telling me uh, about he's just fed up with church and said the last church he went to, you ready for this? They were playing Justin Bieber music for worship. Wow. And he said, I, I, I can't take it anymore. You know, I just, I just can't take it anymore. 
and and I, I you know I understand why people are fed up with church. I, you know, I wouldn't go either. I don't know if I shared you with the, with you guys some time ago. I got a letter last year from a lady. Uh, it's a female Presbyterian pastor, and that's that's not possible scripturally according to First Timothy chapter three. A bishop must be the husband of one wife. A wife can't be the husband of one wife unless she's a lesbian. Okay, I, I said my my bad stuff now. But she had gone to Ireland and then had her vacation. She comes back. She puts a half a gallon of Irish liquor in the lobby with cups and wants everybody to have a shot of liquor before they come into the sanctuary to see her video or her pictures of her vacation. And I'm thinking, you know, if I was going to that church, I'd say, I'll tell you what, y'all go in and watch the video and I'll monitor this, this half a gallon of liquor out here. I mean, that's really preparing people for the presence of God, isn't it? That's that's that that's that's where we are. I, I get letters like that all the time. I'm like, Man. don't don't. How can these people say this is godly and this is church and this is this is how we worship? I mean, that's 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 so removed from the truth. Sinners know better than that. They they know that's they know people that do that are hypocrites. That's why people say I don't have no confidence in Christianity. You know, all you guys lie, cheat, rob, steal. You, you know, you, all of you dishonest. I hear it all the time. You know, I, I get beat up because, you, you know, you're not what you say you are. It, it, all you guys are money hungry, money grubbing, grabbing preachers. It, 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 I understand it. I understand it. These people make my job hard. But you know what? It doesn't change how I live. It doesn't justify me doing wrong. I've got to keep doing right, no matter what. But this is this is constantly going on, and this is why people are are tuning in to to your program, Doug and Joe, to to, to hear truth, you know, hear hear the truth about what's going on in the world, and hear the truth that'll set you free and give you eternal life, because the two go hand in hand. So, the Lord is going to obviously destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, but He wouldn't go and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah without first giving Abraham an opportunity to intercede in behalf of the lost people. So the Bible says in verse 22, And the men turned their faces from thence and went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near. He walked closer to the Lord and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein. And I'll never forget when I read that. Abraham was asking a distinctly separate question here. I want to read that again. Verse 24, Genesis 18, 24. Peradventure, there be 50 people with, within the city, righteous people, of course, wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are there. In other words, let's just say Sodom and Gomorrah uh, had uh, 150,000 people between the twin cities, the two cities. Abraham is asking a question. If there are 50 people in one conclave, one little nook, one little cranny, will you not spare the place for the 50 righteous that are therein? I mean, this is really spiritual discernment. He's not asking God to not destroy the whole city. He's saying, God, if there's 50 people that are that are that are huddled up 
and trying to have prayer meeting, trying to worship you, trying to be faithful, will you spare that place? Watch God's response. Well, let me, let, me, let me finish what Abraham said. That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Abraham understood the righteousness of Jehovah. He said, you are such a righteous judge. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? I know you will do the right thing. Here's his reply. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. In other words, if I find 50 people, just like at your studio, Doug, those staff, people that are around there tonight, there's righteousness there. Will you spare all of Erie, Pennsylvania? And God says, yes. If, if, if I'll not just spare the place that Joe and Doug and, and staff are there. I'll spare all of Erie. That's what God is saying. That, now, see, that's grace and mercy. That's, 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 that's such mercy that it would, it, would, it would beg description to describe that gravity of mercy because Abraham is negotiating for a, you know, just your studio. Because the judge of all the earth has got to do the right thing. And God is so just. God is so long-suffering. God is so merciful. He says, hey, if, if I, I can find 50 righteous in the studio, hey, I'll spare all of Erie, Pennsylvania. Well, here again, Abraham is overwhelmed with compassion. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for the lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. He spake unto him yet again, and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. That's mercy. And he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. See, this, this, this you can only do that when you have the right relationship. God didn't rebuke him. God did not reprove him. He didn't say, hey, wait a minute, pal. You started off at 50. You've, you're, you're getting ready to take me all the way down nearly to nothing. But he didn't rebuke him. He, ne he, never, he, never, he never said anything about the negotiation part, negotiation part of it, negotiating it. He said, behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be 20 found there. And he said... I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he, Abraham, said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. I will speak yet, but this once. I will speak one more time. Peradventure, ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy. Now, you got to remember, it's all of Sodom, all of Gomorrah, in the book of Jude. Jude says, and the cities about them 
This was a mass, mass destruction. And yet God was willing to put it off, not do it, if there's ten. I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. Somehow I believe in my mind, after Abraham had negotiated down to ten, I believe in my mind, in his heart, in his spirit, for Lot, his nephew's sake, he, he focused his prayer on, on his nephew. Lord, just don't let my nephew, his wife, and children, save them. See, God had already made provision. Why? Because he was already in covenant with Abraham, and that's why the two angels went on to Sodom and Gomorrah, to get Lot and his wife and his son-in-law's and his daughter's out. See, God knows everything. And of course, you know, Genesis nineteen twenty six says, Lot's wife, she looked back from behind him. She became a pillar of salt. The angels, the angels in Genesis 19, verse 16. And while he lingered, the men, the angels, laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth and set him without the city. And the only the only request that God placed upon them was, just don't look back. Don't look back. You see, God always puts man in a position to make a decision. God doesn't give you all the longitude and all the latitude without putting you in a position of making a decision. I preached a message years ago entitled Moments of Decision. Uh, throughout life, we, we, we reach a moment that we have to make a decision. Uh, I heard you talking about your dog. I don't know if you had to put King down or what you had to do, but you had to make a decision. And situations and circumstances bring us all to a place where we have to make a decision. We, we just we, we can't remain neutral. We've got to go forward or go backwards or or stop. Or we just got to do something. You know, uh, there are times that God says, "Be still, don't do anything." But then there are times when you're brought to a place, and that's what that's why God put this one commandment to Lot and his wife and his daughter daughters and son-in-laws: Don't look back. His son-in-laws mocked him. They, they ridiculed. They scoffed Lot. But she looked back. And I asked myself, why would she do that? Well, she may have thought, hey, I married Lot. That's Abraham's nephew. God's made covenant with him, so I'm going to get extra mercy. Uh, hey, God sent angels. He loves me so much. He sent angels. They've literally taken me by the hand. I mean, they're, they're, they're making sure I'm going to be saved. Surely if I just look back with all God's already done, he wouldn't do anything to me if I did that. But see, God brings us all to that place of decision. And and, and, and she decided her fate. People want to blame the devil. 
people want to blame God. They want to blame their boss man. They want to blame their husband. They want to blame their wife. They want to blame everybody, but they fail to take responsibility for their own actions. God sent angels, yes, he did, to deliver them. But you see, even though they had physically taken hold of her hand, they had taken hold of his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters for the Lord being merciful. But what did she do? She looked back from behind him, her husband. She became a pillar of salt. Then the Bible says in Genesis 19:27, And Abraham got up early in the morning to the place where he stood before the Lord. He got up and he walked right out to the same place where he had been negotiating with God. And he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And when, 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 when he said all the land of the plain, I, that's when I believe he was in, in Jude said, and the cities about them. It was just the, the place was rotten as hell. Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them. And Abraham looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain and beheld and lo, the smoke of the country went up as the smoke of a furnace. I believe we will witness that in America. The billowing smoke of a furnace. Now, you know, when God does something, he is absolutely, totally justified when he does it. Because Abraham, back there in Genesis eighteen twenty-five, he said, Shall not the judge of all the earth do that which is right. And Abraham pleaded, pled, and begged, and said, if there's 50 in a little place, will you spare the little place? And God says, if there's 50 in a little place, I'll spare the whole cities, both of them. And I just share with you, 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10. You see, he knew they were not there. And when I think there's three times that God came down. I know the other time was in Genesis 11 and 7, when they were building the Tower of Babel. God came down. When God comes down, folks, uh, it's usually for judgment. He, 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 we, we, we've become so, so grievous in our sins, so wicked, he has no recourse but to come deal with it. Same way with uh, Noah's day. And, 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 and Jesus gave us two analogies, as it was in the days of Lot, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the coming of the Son of Man. You know, I was, uh, I was watching something last night. I'm trying to recall all of it. It was Anderson Cooper, who we all know is a, oh yeah, He's a sodomite, Don Lemon, Rachel Maddow. But, you know, they were talking about the golden showers with Trump, the prostitutes. Do you all know listening tonight that's exactly what homosexuals do? Do you see the hypocrisy in the homosexual community? They have, I didn't know what golden showers were until probably, I don't know, I read a book 30 years ago, uh, The AIDS Cover-Up by Gene Antonio. 
fudge sports. Fudge sport. I thought, what's fudge sports? Where they smear defecation on each other and their little parties. And, and you wonder why God said, I'm going to go down and destroy that place. I mean, yet these anchors on news media channels will talk about this, and they do the same thing. They're the ones that are doing this kind of stuff. You see, that's a reprobate. That's like me committing living in adultery, and I'm on here talking about adultery and talking about it with boldness and with liberty. Yet, I, that's what made me so sick about Jesse Jackson when he's up there talk, preaching redemption and reconciliation with Bill Clinton. He's having an adulterous affair with his own secretary. Yet he gets on the national television and talks to me and you about how we ought to be reconciling and forgiving. See, these are reprobates. These are apostates. These people are so far gone. They can talk about the very things they're doing, yet against a person who hasn't done it. Just it's just it's just it's just rhetorical jargon. And that's when men become reprobates. God's left them. There's no God consciousness. There's no God awareness. They're, all they're waiting to do is die. They don't even know it. You know, I didn't know until Steve told me uh, yesterday, Art Bell was an atheist. I said, I guarantee he's not an atheist today. He's not. He, he believes there is a God now. But it's too late. And so when I witness all of these things, and, you know, then the story goes on and the story gets worse, you know, because... Uh, Lot's two daughters had not consummated their marriage. That's why he could offer them up as virgins. They hadn't gone into the final act of marriage and consummating it. They get their now they're they're so deprived as children. I should say children, but young adults. They get their dad drunk, and you know what they do? They commit incest. And so this is where the the Moabites and the Ammonites came from, and they were always Israel's enemies. See? So again we're we're perpetuating the acts of sin. But you see, because of the mass destruction, obviously the girls felt like we'll never be able to have any children because mankind from their perspective at that time was for the most part destroyed. And they saw the sodomy uh, in the city, so they felt like you know we'll 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 just we'll never have a, a, a children or bear children or, or have a husband. Uh, with the way things are going, so they they they, they decide, you know, uh, to 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 get their father drunk, and they said we'll preserve seed of our father, and uh, so it, it just shows you how they deteriorated, worse and worse and worse. And what does Paul say in Second Timothy three thirteen? But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You know, I, I I'm amazed how that men like James Comey should, in an interview with George Stephanopoulos, should have enough dignity to not talk about some things. How far has his conscience gone that he could sit there and say, I never thought I would say this. No, he wanted to say that. He wanted to hurt. He wanted to castigate. That's in his heart, see? Because these people hate anything that has to do with God. And any, anything that's righteous is what God would embrace, doing the right thing. It's God does not embrace wickedness or doing the wrong thing. And that's why he said he hates a, 
a false balance. It's an abomination. When somebody puts their thumb on the scales, God says, that's an abomination to me. I, I want you to do the right thing. And in doing the right thing, that's how we obtain the blessings of God. In closing it down, let me just encourage the people listening tonight to pray, to pray. Because that's the only thing that's going to cover you and your family is intercessory prayer. The only reason Lot was saved was because of Abraham. He wouldn't have been saved any other way. And I believe some of you listening, you have family members. The only way they're going to be saved is by your intercessory prayer. Now, that's the danger of people like myself and Joe, Doug. You, you, you pray, you cry out to God. But, you know, when I die, who's going to take up my prayer life and covering my children, my, my family? Who's going to do that? See? And, and my concern is, if the Lord tarries, there won't be a whole lot of praying going on, you know, when we get toward the end. But I do believe somehow, some way, if God's going to do some things, and, and the righteous are going to, the creme de la creme is coming to the top. There's going to be people who will not compromise, who cannot be bought off. They're like Naboth. He said, my vineyard is not for sale. It's my inheritance, and I'll not sell it. But Jezebel got her tribunal and suborned men who came in there and lied on the man of God and said, he's, he's said things about the king, Ahab, and she had him stoned to death. And then she went home and said, here, Ahab, I got your vineyard for you. Those, those, those days are here now, the duplicity, the deception. So I, I said all that tonight to encourage you to pray and don't give up in praying. Luke 18, 1 says, he spake a parable unto them of this end. That meant all, always to pray and not to faint. Don't ever give up. God is always going to be alive. He's going to always be on his throne, and that's why we should never, ever give up. Keep praying and seeking God. I want to encourage everyone to do that tonight. Amen. 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 Wow. That, that's all there is at the end of the day. At the that's end. it. You never know wow. what power prayer has, whether it's for yourself and your own life and your, your family and those around you to uh, people who uh, may be in your church or, or uh, extended family members and, and friends and whatnot uh, from prayer circles that you see on social media and email lists. It is important that we make sure that we have a very dedicated prayer life. And that is a, just as important as our you know, daily studying of Scripture it's just as important as our examples of walking out our faith in Jesus Christ, doing more than just reading, doing more than just studying. All these things must come together uh, to provide our uh, true faith walk with the Lord the way he called us to do it. We can't just cherry pick what we like to do uh, as far as uh, in our faith. We need to follow his example. And that means in all aspects of our faith, we need to get involved and uh, be on the tip of the spear. Absolutely, guys. That's 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 the key because it will listen. If nothing else, it will change us. But God is merciful. Our prayers will change other people's destination and their destiny. But we have to be the ones to to do the praying. And once they get in, they help us because you got to keep it going. 
we can never see. So I hope everyone mm-hmm. will really be more cognizant of the power of prayer because it will affect us if we'll be faithful in doing it. So God Amen. bless everyone. Have a great week. Uh, you guys got your wow. meeting this weekend. Have a blessed meeting. Mm-hmm. And may God bless and touch the hearts and lives of many lost people. Pastor, thank you so very much. Uh, what a marvelous spiritual uplifting message very important message thank you for your gift of time thank you you guys have a wonderful week what's left of it All right, God bless sir. everyone bye bye God bless you too wow great show you, you uh, know show start, starting out with uh, Brandon House talking about the uh, what's going on in the evangelical church and how it's it's just being twisted and then of course setting the stage for the solutions ultimately ending tonight in prayer and how many shows can how many shows do this i'm not saying you know how great our show is but of all the of all the shows out there um too too few don't emphasize the god aspect oh, yeah. of things and that's by design especially in the mainstream media where we know that they are working for you know the satanic agenda and whether it's it's Fox News or or CNN they never mention Jesus they never mention the answer and solution through the salvation of Jesus Christ it's That's just right. not something that they do and you have to ask yourself with that information out there and their platform and ability to reach you know millions of people each day across the world isn't that the perfect opportunity to proclaim that great news of Jesus Christ well, but not said. only that, the TV only takes his name in vain instead yeah. and puts him down and those who support him down. So that should tell us a Very lot true. about those uh, people behind the programmings of the TV and who they truly worship in their own lives. Well, very true. Um, wow. Fantastic program night. Folks, we, we've got a great program lined up for you tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow, the flagship show. A lot of great surprises coming. In the meanwhile, just keep your eyes on HagmanReport.com. Please bookmark HagmanReport.com. Uh, support our sponsors. Whole Tones, it was great. I'm, I'm telling you, you, you gotta, you gotta experience Whole Tones. Yes. It's, it's a fantastic product and, uh, um, it make it does make a difference, especially when you're in the in the field of battle and and taking flack and such and such, whether it's sleep revitalization, spiritual or physical healing process, and then of Hold course prayer. Holtonesfree.com. That's right, and then prayer. Uh, closing out with Pastor David Langford. But tomorrow, be sure to tune into the flagship show, and of course, uh, Doug Hagman Radio Show Nine. The ten and the Hagman Daily Show, yep, uh, two to three, and of course Occupy twenty eighteen. If you if you haven't gotten your tickets by now, eh. CoachDaveLive.com. Yeah, you can get your tickets if there are any that remain there, and uh, we look forward to seeing all of you in Canton starting Friday. But we'll be back tomorrow for our regular round, uh, lineup of shows and taking us out with Hagman Report tomorrow night. Have a great night, everyone. Mm-hmm.